0: Welcome to School of Movies. Star Wars. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. Do do that? the story of a boy a girl and a universe it's a big sprawling space saga of rebellion and romance it's a spectacle light years ahead of its time it's an epic of heroes Good luck and villains and aliens from a thousand worlds Star Wars, a billion years in the making, and it's coming to your galaxy this summer.
1: Welcome to a very special ultimate edition of the Star Wars Episode 4 A New Hope podcast. This is a mix of the original show we put out in 2010, before Digital Gonzo developed into the more in-depth discussion show it became, along with sections of the commentary we recorded in early 2015, five years later. My guests for this Ultimate Edition include Neil Taylor of The Kid Dog on YouTube, James Batchelor of Bond & Beyond, and Alex Eading of the Plaid Hat Games podcast, And all of this will be blended together with the remastered music of John Williams to create an episode that can stand alongside the new shows, like our Force Awakens episode and every subsequent Star Wars installment for as long as we're podcasting. So get ready for a journey back to 1977. 1977. been the hardest star wars film for me to write about because i have to look at it in retrospect of what came before which was only eight decades of cinematic history and what came after it which has been three decades of influence this is probably the most game-changing movie in the history of film doesn't make it the best it's not even the best star wars movie first up you have to look at what came before which is let's face it not much so, gentlemen, for our first exercise, could you please list for me everything significant in the realm of fantasy and sci-fi adventure on the big screen that came before Star Wars? All the old
2: um, Ray Harryhausen stuff, like Jason and the Argonauts, yep. uh, Clash of the Titans, etc.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, hang uh, on, I think yeah. Clash of the Titans came a bit afterwards, because The Owl was based on R2-D2. Oh, I did
3: not know this. Uh, Flash Gordon, but we're going right back to what, maybe 40s there, 50s? Yep. Buck Rogers.
2: Were the Star Trek films before or after? after. 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 As a result of.
3: Uh, I think we were uh, limited by our knowledge on that
1: one. Okay, now list everything that's come in the past 33 years in the realm of fantasy and sci-fi adventure on the big screen.
2: Oh, Christ. Lord of the Rings. Um, The Star Treks. Mm -hmm. Um, Back to the Future. Stargate. Yep. Um, Aliens. Yep. Chronicles of Narnia, Mummy, The Mummy Returns, I can't, those are some fantasies. Um, uh,
1: inspired somewhat more by Indiana Jones. Ah, yes, of course. Gremlins, Ghostbusters. Pirates of Rob- the Caribbean. Yep. <laughs> Robocop, Predator, Willow, Jurassic Park, Pixar. Was Sp- Blade Runner? Blade Runner was after, wasn't it? It was. Yep. There you go. Fifth Element, inspired My- by, Therophil- by Blade Runner. <laughs> Harry Potter, Spider-Man, Hellboy, Iron Man, Avatar, uh, and not to mention the original and remake series of Battlestar Galactica and, of course,
3: Firefly and Serenity, all unarguably influenced by Star Wars. Mm. Well, Star Wars is the one that brought it to the... uh, I'm going to say a horrible word now. Mass market. It had Mm. the mass market appeal. It appealed to everyone. Where, Like you said, with 2001, A a Space Odyssey, that was sort of highbrow, high-thinking cinema. You know, Mm. that Stanley Kubrick. But Here you had Star Wars that was for the masses, for the for everybody and it was easy and simple to follow
1: also America at the time in 77 were miserable because they'd just finished Vietnam they'd just finished Watergate They'd, had, they'd been betrayed. You know, they were down in the dumps. They needed something huge and massive. It's the reason why... I mean, it's one of the reasons why Lord of the Rings was so absolutely huge in 2001, because everyone wanted to take their mind off of September 11th. Yeah. Seriously, it's it's uh, people just wanted to lose themselves in a world where they weren't terrified. Yeah, basically, Star Wars hit at exactly the right time, because we were just about to hit the 80s, when everything became technological, and, and, again, its influence spread out throughout that. How much do you guys know about the actual production on this one and all of the different iterations that it went through and the, the the mad ideas that were bursting out of George's head before they got channeled into something a bit more workable. I know
2: I know it, snippets. I know like you know what's it Luke's name was originally Star Killer. Mm-hmm. Um and originally yeah you know, like Obi One killed luke's father and there were there were some like drastic changes
1: if you listen to george talking about it he he seems to talk as if he had this plan all along but then he talks about how he made changes and then it becomes apparent that he's not even sure at what point he decided certain things were going to be And um, he's a little bit confused by three decades' worth of rewrites. It's interesting, because he starts off saying, oh, it was going to be this this one huge film, and then he had to cut it down into just one film, but then he wanted to make some sequels to it, but then he decided it was going to be six films. From Anthony Daniels, who actually, now that I think about it, did a really good job with the whole physical acting and the miming. Do you rate the acting in this film?
2: I do uh, uh, rate Alec Guinness. I, do, I, I like, I, and there's one key moment where I think, actually, yeah, you are out acting anyone here. It's the moment when uh, Luke says uh, he's looking for an Obi Wan Kenobi, and Alec Guinness's eyes just glaze over. He's like, Obi Wan and you can see he's looking in distance and it's like he's remembering now and he, and he says that's the name and he, he's still staring off into the distance that's a name I've not heard in a long time you can tell that this guy has been hiding for about 30 years that moment 20 there 20 years the time continuity between the prequels and the original and I know we're not judging this based on the prequels but you have just done three weeks and I've been really enjoyed listening to you guys talk about I don't it know, go for it like, like you said like, why does um Owen Lars not remember owning
1: C-3PO? That was going to be one of my questions. Not Why? just owning C-3PO, no. but C-3PO and R2-D2. He's yeah. seen them together as a pair 20 years ago Why? and then this Anakin o- came back and all kinds of shit went down. If I were Owen, I'd be like, Anakin Skywalker must come nowhere near this boy. We don't want him to have anything to do with him. And yet, this droid that belonged to Anakin suddenly turns up with this other droid that belonged to Padme. If anything,
2: if anything, you'd turn... Um, C3PO and R2 away, both of them, just in case of like a yeah. tracking devices or something. Why, okay, to carry on, why does Obi Wan not recognize R2 when he slags him off for the first 15 minutes of Revenge of the Sith? Mm. You'd remember that.
1: Also, if you watch The Clone Wars, the TV series, that, that he hangs out with R2 all the time, he calls him the, R2D2.
2: The big one that really bothered me is um, Grand Moff Tarkin talking to Darth Vader. You, my friend, are all that is left of their religion, and was and the you know the commander is like your sad devotion to that ancient religion. Ancient, it's twenty. Twenty years. years. Old. <laughs> How has everyone forgotten the Jedi? I yeah, mean, Christ, that's, fifty that's, years that's, on, we remember the Gurkhas.
1: That's like referring to A.M.C. Hammer as an ancient dance form. Exactly. <laughs> Also, that guy's way too mouthy with Vader. From from how everyone's terrified of him in Empire, yeah. there is no way that if Empire had come out first, that that guy would be all sort of you know your sad devotion. Vader was just uh, Vader goes easy on him. I know he's a pretty relatively high ranking like uh, imperial he's, he's, official, but Vader's supposed to be the skull like figure of the Emperor's wrath. He'd be like, now fuck this clown.
2: Exactly, he's talking bitch in this one. It's yeah. like this is meant to be a Dark Lord of the Sith. This is meant to be, like you say, the Emperor's right-hand man. This man is meant to be second to no one. Yeah. He is the Emperor's apprentice, and he's basically wandering around like some great bodyguard.
1: Did you notice that in this film, and only this film, Darth Vader has red eyes? Yeah. Yeah. Early design choice, they got rid of that. If you actually look, the bridge of his nose is very light silver as well.
2: Uh, okay, Actually, to, to go back to um, your whole you know, good acting... At the very start, the whole attack on the Tantive Four. Darth Vader genuinely looks like the sort of guy who's pissed off with everything that life's given him. Mm. He really doesn't give a shit. He's ma- It really makes me appreciate how much of a badass Darth Vader is. I mean, mm. when I first when I first watched Star Wars, I wasn't that. Uh, Darth Vader was a cool character, but I wasn't that scared of him. I didn't think he was that big a deal. Now, when I go back and watch it and admittedly, you know, subconsciously influenced by the prequels and having seen everything he apparently went through, or what mm. it, more accurately, what he was meant to have gone through had it been written properly, I now watch that opening scene, I think, you know what? Jesus, this guy's gone through loads of crap. He just, he doesn't
1: care anymore. He's an angry man. It's now a much better performance for me. See, in comparison to films five and six, Vader's acting in this one's actually fairly rubbish to me. It's like, you are part of the Rebel Alliance of a Traitor. Take it away! Oh, and the
2: he's, voice he's, is bad. The voice is bad. It's because James Earl Jones
1: hadn't got the handle on him yet. Yeah. As of Empire, he is so fucking... Cool. More on yeah. that next week. But there's just this sort of rumbling menace in his voice. In this, he's like, there'll be no one to stop us this time. And he's, he's very kind of, you know, yes, I shall twirl my moustache. I mean, he's menacing, but he's he's a shadow of what he's
3: about to become. But I
1: don't know. If Fader had turned up in the prequels and been like this, I'd have been like, well, I suppose it kind of fits in with Star Wars, but it's missing the character.
3: Yeah, yeah but at least he wasn't a whiny bitch in this one. Oh, hell no.
1: He's still a thousand <laughs> times better than Anakin. I actually don't rate a lot of the uh, acting in this. It seems like everybody's just getting to know their past and it wasn't until Empire that they really embodied them. Everybody's serious and sells each ridiculous scenario very well. But the delivery is occasionally atrocious and mired down by poor ADR. I think 98% of the lines in this film had to be re-recorded in a studio. Makes everything seem strangely detached. Also, the first edit was reportedly sluggish and needed a full overhaul, which may explain how jumpy the cuts are in this version, the version that everybody knows.
3: I think with this cut... proves that George Lucas has no concept of how to sell time mm. in, in movies at all. There's no sense of time. It makes very... The transition... It all seems to happen uh, in an
1: afternoon, just like it never... <laughs> stopped, three. Uh, just watch the scene with Luke and Ben in Kenobi's Hut and count how many times it leaps between their faces. It still works and it's pacey, but you can often tell that this film was held together with string and a wish. It's almost like a pantomime at times as well. If you, if you actually watch the scene where they go, that's no moon, and they're just sort of being dragged in by the Death Star, and they're, they're, they're selling this crazy scenario in this tiny little cockpit, and they're going, oh my god, we're in space, and there's a Death Star over there, oh god, it's like, it's so cheap, and yet it's really charming. I mean, that's, yeah. that's not a bad thing at all. I mean, if, effectively, you've seen what it's like when they throw money at it. Awful. Yeah, look,
3: be afraid of the tennis ball on
1: the stick. <laughs> no. I mean, it it must have been just as bad in those days because they were like, what, so we're in this black room uh, there's a black sheet in front of us with pinpricks in it, and we're being told to be afraid of this thing on a string.
2: I think you get that with anything, though. I mean, I, I... Obviously, like it's not a direct comparison, but if you look at cartoon series like Family Guy, The Simpsons, etc., the mm. first two or three seasons, yeah. all of the acting is terrible, the voices are appalling, it's, it's only when it they get... Wrong. You need momentum. You Let's
1: can't... go out for frosty chocolate milkshakes.
2: Exactly. You can't automatically drop yourself into a role that not only have you never experienced, no one has experienced. No one had experienced a character like Darth Vader with the deep voice, the breathing apparatus, the evil villain. Um, no one had done... Um, uh, you know, the Anthony Daniels, The Weird Robot. No one had done this film before. We, we've just said, you know, there was nothing like this before. They were, uh, no one had read a script like this before. I mean, you know, the classic Harrison Ford, you can say this, you can read this shit, but you can't say it. The sort of stuff that they were doing is the realms of, um, you know, sci fi novels, etc. And it doesn't come across when you read it out loud. I mean, you know, to go back to, like, you know, um, any sort of, you know, like, novel, you, you try read it out loud. Harry Potter, for Christ's sake. Harry Potter all of them, including some of the teachers, aren't quite used to what they're meant to be doing, how their character is. You watch them by the third film, they're absolutely spot on, they're in that role. And you just, i maybe I'm forgiving, but you do have to kind of give kind of leeway for that.
3: For the longest time, I had always seen Star Wars on the TV. And I know it's slightly basic, but seeing the re release in the cinema and getting to see this scene, I really gotta understand the whole, oh god, and here it goes, the Star Destroy going over. It's so gorgeous. I mean,
1: like top three most iconic moments in cinema history. It's it's
3: strange, it's one of those moments I'd also say that only really works if you have either a big enough screen or you do see it at the cinema. Hmm. Because you have to feel like it's going over your head and it's dwarfing. Yeah. Uh, the other one I would also say is from Independence Day, the reveal of the ship, the first reveal. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it, and it just
4: kept coming. Yes. Yeah.
3: Also, model work. Oh, because th- th- I mean, this is the team that Gevers,
4: uh, ILM. Because it yeah. wasn't ILM during this; it was only after.
5: Yeah.
4: And there's uh, there's something definitely to be said. This is why the Lord of the Rings uh, went with so many of the miniatures uh, and their in their works as well is that the models bring an amazing sense of I mean I want to say realism to the ships because it's something that you feel like you can reach out and touch
3: uh, if you listen to I think it's Adam Savage who mentions the fact when they were building models they, they, they were saying that when they do it they, they there must be a story behind every rivet so there's always something there so it makes a ship feel real it makes it feel used and lived in and I like
4: that I think that's my favorite part of the of the Star Wars universe is that for the most part, especially the originals, it feels like the universe is lived in. The ships mm. are boxy and they're made because they're, you know, they're run off a line somewhere and they're, they're gritty because people have been living on them for mm. a long time.
1: They're utilitarian as well. They, they feel like uh, they're, they're not designed with form in mind so much as function.
4: Now, can you imagine running down this hallway? I'm just noticing the curved lower level. If you get bumped off to the side, you're going down.
1: <laughs> actually, no, yeah, that's that's the other way around. That's more form and less function. That's like, <laughs> what what does that actually serve? I mean, it makes it look like not a corridor we're familiar
4: with. Every time I watch these Blu-rays, I'm still blown away by the detail mm. that they pick up from, you know, the original film that they then had to upgrade and update And get all of this picture out of just the way that the way that light shines off of Vader's face mask right here, the way that the light hits his glove versus his mask, the way that the light is bouncing off of this rebel trooper who he's choking. uh, It all is so sharp, so crisp, so clear. I wonder what it was like in the original theatrical release, because I don't think that they could have gotten clarity like this. And, uh, of course, everyone
1: who saw it at the time, is uh, there's, what, 40 years nearly uh, in mm-hmm. between uh, now and then. And, and uh, they would have watched it dozens, hundreds of times since then. So it's going to be um, layered upon layered with every subsequent time.
4: And it takes a toll on the film with oh. just the use of it like that. R2 and 3PO
1: have never been so... Um, grimy. Grimy.
3: No, exactly. I mean,
4: I mean, in this
1: film, uh, in terms of, like, powerful protagonists... They were kind of there in Empire and Jedi, but this is their film. Yeah. This is their time to shine. And unless there is a, uh, fingers crossed, hopefully, Pixar droids movie, this is going to remain their sort of like their peak. They don't actually call it Tatooine in this first film. They don't even mention Tatooine until the end of Empire, where it's meet you at the rendezvous point at Tatooine. I love, love, love the contrasts of lots of black and lots of white in this film. (laughs) the uh, the Tantive IV, the inside of this, this ship, with just like everything being white, but these guys stalking around in either white armor or black. That automatically puts you in in some place very uh, distinct. There's a lot more firework-style effects in this. You know, when like uh, the doors explode behind stormtroopers and like puffs of smoke. Kind of a low effects budget uh, in terms of the squibs and the explosions and things. So watch out for lots of like, like poof. And there was a laser explosion. From Empire onwards, it gets a lot more classy
3: looking. I'm just actually really enjoying how unclean R two and and C three PO aren't they can... gross looking? Yeah, <laughs> That's so so
1: yeah. When, when he has that oil bath, it's going to feel so good. That he means it. He's like, I've got
3: I've got grime in places I didn't even know I had. Places. It's just every time that like, you've seen him depicted in recent years, they're very clean. You know, mm-hmm. R two is that bright shade of white and blue.
1: Aesthetically speaking, also you're coming out of like uh, very white. Um, space age type uh, scenario straight onto the most primitive looking desert planet ever with lots of gold and blue and so the sudden major palette change
4: I still can't believe with, with the whole droid thing that 3PO just goes, no, no, I'm going to go this way I mean, This is actually, like if you consider how long they've been together,
1: this is a big deal He's like, right, I will never see you again, R2 Why you should shoot on
3: location because look how
1: fantastic this is mm. It does look like an alien world because uh, whenever we see pictures of Mars, it looks like this. It mm. does. So, like in our brains, we're like, "Well, that is what alien worlds look like." Lots, well, just one single topographical feature. I mean, that's again, that's a thing that you got to love about the, this particular film. They did this with just every shortcut they could possibly put together.
4: And the found now, yeah. objects, in as far as the prop design and the costumes, is. A really interesting thing to look for. It's just looking around for stuff that you might recognize, like this droid's head uh, that seems to be running this place. Looks, I mean, that came from a motorcycle helmet, I assume.
1: Do you think they'll melt us I mean, again, this is madness from on three PO's part. There's the, the, the bits that are inside them clearly aren't worth more than just functioning droids. We can see there's a whole bunch of functioning droids about it. Flipio's not much of a detective.
4: Droid, and being boxing. fluent in over six billion forms of communication should let him hear what the Jawas are saying, which is, what do you think? This one, we could probably get a good price off of this one. You're
1: absolutely right. He should be able to.
4: What is it? Ubbies? No, that's.
1: Hutties? No, it's Jawa I think it's just Jawa, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Greedo speaks Hutties. Like Luke is extra whiny in this film. By the way, it's it's a completely different performance in Jedi. It just
6: said whining in brackets. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was talking about the droid, but uh... Tashi Station power
1: converters, and uh, no one reacts with any kind of wonder in Star Wars, which kind of sells the um, the mundanity of the world. You've got to sort of balance that because if no one reacts with wonder to anything, you can't sell the wonder. No, but you can sell the day-to-day by everyone being totally cool
3: with it. Also, getting to watch the the Blu-ray. This is the first time I got to watch the Blu-ray. Look how grimy Luke's robes are. Yeah, he's covered in filth.
1: He's worn that same robe every day his teenage life.
3: He's a farmer, so he's not going to be clean. So it's it's kind of again, it gives that lived-in feel to everything.
4: I I mean, I want to know what an actual moisture farmer's daily duties look like because I'm not seeing a whole lot of anything out here. They go out to those
1: pylons and then they get the water off it and then they sell it, I suppose, the moisture. As well as being the uh, hero archetype, Luke is also the uh, control character that, like Harry Potter, has lived a very boring existence and basically has to have the more interesting aspects of the world explained to him and us along with him. But as he gets more experienced, then the things being explained to him become more intangible and more philosophical in nature. His character grows more interesting as what's being imparted to Luke by Yoda and Obi-Wan. And eventually even Vader and the Emperor grows in shadowy complexity.
4: Part of his performance here is really bringing youth across. uh, Youth and really kind of being the country kid who doesn't know a whole lot.
1: He's the quintessential boy hero. If you read uh, uh, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, it's an old book now, talking about old concepts that have been subverted and turned on their head, especially since Star Wars, but um, pretty much every single rule is followed in the Luke Skywalker character. You've got to love uh, Hamill's conviction here, though. I mean, I mean that's kind of the earnestness is what sold Skywalker in the first place. It's such a tricky scene to balance, because to not just make him so whiny and so self-pitying you have to spin it these days to, to not just be this scene
5: we let well, not mention prequels but...
1: no this one's like I want to go to the academy which yeah. by the way he's talking about going to Imperial Academy, academy and becoming yeah. a TIE fighter pilot
3: a lot of motion conveyed with looks and music yeah it's really great I think people nowadays or filmmakers nowadays are, and having monologue or something Oh, he excels
1: at that, sir. You didn't say that before. In your sales pitch, you did not mention excels at trouble. That wasn't one of your bullet points. <laughs> Unfortunately, he doesn't blast you into a million pieces. I think basically, uh, 3PO reckons that Luke is this kicking redneck.
5: Yeah. He's like,
1: <laughs> Which I'm going to teach you a thing or two, droid. I'll teach you to drive away from me. I'm going to be blasting you to a million pieces. I won't take
3: 10,000. <laughs>
6: 3PO's like the kid that's trying to get all the other kids into trouble. Yeah, he's
1: a creep. How is 3PO likable after all this? By all rights, you
4: should dislike 3PO. Which, And and even today, I I was um, talking yesterday with some people about Anthony Daniels, who I got to see MC Star Wars in concert a few years ago. And uh, I've seen other interview footage of, of him from just different appearances and things. And do not hand that man a microphone if you don't have much time to spend a, whatever you're doing. He will talk. He seems like a very genuine guy, but he will he will not stop talking.
1: I do love the fact that he has stayed with Star Wars, though. He could have done an Alec Giddis years ago mm-hmm. and gone. I don't want anything to do with this.
4: Can I just say the way I, I Guinness is
3: walking over there is either really rocky or he's had a few. <laughs> it,
4: it might just be both, Neil. A little too much blue milk for me You there How strange, an unconscious boy
6: Come down
1: I got some blue milk for you (laughs) Oh, you're a (laughs) droid Okay, so did Ben
3: Kenobi lie? Yes, he did. Is it me or is it in this movie, compared to how we've seen the Jedi in the prequels? Not very Jedi. He influences the minds of the stormtroopers. He it almost looks like he tries to influence the mind of Han as well.
1: Mm. And he certainly manipulates Luke.
3: When they find the Sandcrawler destroyed, uh, he's, he's trying desperately to convince Luke not to go back to the farm. Yeah. Because he knows what Luke's going to find.
2: I, I'm going to throw in here. That's a very, very good leading point. I've I've listened to there's um a series of podcasts called A Different Point of View, which is short five minute essays by a guy posing as a stormtrooper who looks at all of the films, all six, and retells stories from a stormtrooper's point of view. And some of them are bloody convincing. Case in point, the Owen Lars thing, and uh, so the the Owen and Beru, the deaths of the last family. He points out that we like so, okay so. Owen and Beru are burned to death.
1: The worst deaths in the entire trilogy. No one else gets left as a smouldering skeleton. Even yeah. Boba Fett didn't get punked that badly. You, funny you mention him. You never see stormtroopers in the entire six films
2: using flamethrowers. The mm. only character in in the this, in this saga that used a flamethrower is Boba, Boba Fett. Fett. Yeah. So that would imply that Boba Fett is the one that killed. Boba Fett being a bounty hunter. Why would a bounty hunter go and kill these farmers? Obi-Wan has obviously got underworld contacts with that fat lizard bloke from episode two, Dexter Jexter, who's clearly not a legitimate businessman. (laughs) Right? So how, he just, the guy, you know, he he points out that maybe, maybe Obi-Wan hires Boba Fett to kill Owen and Baruz so he can essentially hoodwink
1: and kidnap Luke and get him to join and fight his cause. It holds a lot of weight because effectively, surely, Surely all the Stormtroopers would have done is shoot them. Yeah, exactly. Burning them alive seems something of overkill. Yeah.
3: It doesn't actually make no sense whatsoever. And it's overly gruesome as well. It is. It shows the (laughs) (laughs) the frigging skeletons. Here's two burnt skeletons. As
1: as
2: As he points out, just before Luke runs off to go and see the family... All of the blaster p- hits on the sand crawler are accurate and deadly and precise. If you've got accurate, deadly, precise, and that's your standard mode of operation, why would you then use something
1: as messy as a flamethrower? The only explanation is the robot chicken one. I'm, I'm telling
4: you, I, I don't know where the droids are. We're not getting anything out of these two. Burn them alive. No, no, please, no. Oh, and I have a message from Lord Vader. He says, you may now laugh about the little orphan Annie joke.
0: You tell him, it was funny then, and it's funny now.
4: Ha ha ha, little orphan Annie. Ha ha ha. You tell him to his face. Oh, will do. Light him up, boys. Well, Baru, people always said we were a hot couple. You know, Owen, you really are an asshole.
3: you, you know how you pointed out that he says... A- accurate. A- yeah, I was going to say,
1: no one's less accurate than Stormtroopers. What are you talking about?
3: Jawas are more accurate than Stormtroopers. You watch the, the bit uh, in the Death Star between Luke and Leia when he's trying to throw the grappling hook. Mm. She just points that gun in any direction and the bolt sort of magically goes the right way. I also love that was uh, that gun she has at the, at the start
2: when yeah. she's um, in the Tantive Four and she fires it drops it and runs why is that a one-shot gun or something
5: <laughs> <laughs> there's one set for stun <laughs> uh! he said stun <laughs> it wasn't gonna hurt ya! He said stuff!
1: See, my version of the Clone Wars would actually have been that the first versions of Stormtroopers that the Empire created were clones, just like they were. I mean, instead of them being the good guys in Episode 2, they were basically just there to, to be the Iron Hand of the Empire. And the wars that occurred were basically just the planets going, no, wait a second, what if we don't want to be in the Empire? And that's how you create an Empire. You conquer people. So basically, Kenobi could have been on that side, the Jedi trying to defend these planets, and the yeah. Jedi lost that's, that's Firefly. That would have been an Effectively. amazing story. That's yeah. the, the Outer Rim Territories going, no, wait a second, what if we don't want to be part of this thing? And yeah. them losing. Wouldn't that have been so much better than the bullshit Trade Federation thing? That, that's, your, that's your crusade, protecting your beliefs, protecting your independence. <sighs> that would have been a great three-movie arc as well, because that could have been epic. The whole thing great. could have been the Clone Wars. I and see, by the end of it, like the last Jedi gets killed.
2: As we said, watching uh, watching Star Wars this time around, specifically with the mind of coming on the show and actually thinking about it rather than just switching off and listening to all the speeches that refer to the backstory, if you just ignore the prequels, I'd love to write the backstory and the prequels and, like, just have a go right writing that. Like I said, like... It's hard. It.
1: I, like I said in the first episode, I tried. It's I hard. Imagine. You get tied in oh. knots going, wait a second, he has to be a good pilot. Uh.
2: But, but, oh, um, but writing I it, writing it where, like, the, the, you know, the Force actually is an ancient religion that everyone has forgotten and people are rediscovering. That is a great idea for a story and
3: all that. Mm. The thing is, the, the lines that we're focused on... Your father was a great pilot, a good friend. He fought in the Clone Wars. And a cunning warrior. They're almost throwaway lines. Mm. Which Mm. is quite interesting that those are the lines he focused on. Because they are almost throwaway. They are a brief description of a character that, as far as we know at that point, we're never going to meet
1: and if you contradict them you can explain that away in a single line of you know what Luke doesn't need to know everything Obi-Wan lied Obi-Wan lied yeah I have to ask about Tatooine as well before we leave it because Robot Chicken sort of brought this up it's a desert planet and as with a hell of a lot of other planets in the Star Wars galaxy it's defined by a single topographical feature sand so how is everybody breathing? yeah well moisture
2: farms or something I don't know
3: well, moisture is for water, not air. OK, no, okay
2: sorry. Uh, no, what's it? It'd be like... Um, I don't know. There, there'll be like an Eden project somewhere. <laughs> there's, oh, yeah?
3: probably, there's probably a continent on Tatooine that we've never seen that is actually like the jungle part of it or something.
1: No, nope. I checked on Wikipedia, There not No,
3: right. I... am mean, going to channel George Lucas. It doesn't matter. Precisely. Yeah,
2: exactly. I mean, like you can't look at the Star Wars universe scientifically. It's not like Star Trek, which is actually trying to be science fiction. This mm. is science Fiction. Emphasis on fiction. I, I, I listen to so many writing podcasts where they refer to Star Wars as, as in the original, you know, this film, Star Wars New Hope, as great examples of um, writing and basic story structure. But in terms of world building, utterly shit.
1: Just, it's gotta just take the story for what it is approach rather than explaining every minute detail of the life cycle. It actually added greatly to Star Wars' charm and made it possible for the oldest and youngest to enjoy it. One of the pitfalls of the prequels was over explaining some things and leaving others in the dark.
2: Oh uh, yeah, I, th- when I watched the, um, the commentary, he actually said like there were certain points where, um... He didn't want to explain certain things. He yeah. just said, like, so certainly like a lot of the terminology they use, he didn't want to explain it. He just wanted to leave it. And if it sounds like they know what they're talking about, mm. the audience accepts it. And that is just a, you know, just a good narrative tool. If, if someone talks as if something's normal, you, you make the unfamiliar familiar by making the characters talk about it as if it's real, not worry about not question everything. Mm. It's not like those um, sci-fi or fantasy films where you have a character that's like us and needs to be... The Harry Potter... Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Harry Potter that needs to have everything explained to him so that we get it explained to us. He just went for it so that um, the audience is just, you know, along for the ride and accepts the world as it is. That would have worked if he'd used that in the prequels as well. The word midi chlorians, at the risk of angering the two of you, <laughs> didn't, <laughs> didn't bother me at all. In the when they first said it in like in um, Phantom Menace, I saw Phantom Menace in the cinema and they said midi chlorians, I wasn't bothered. I thought, I thought to myself, that's just something to do with the um, the Force. It's when he explains yeah, it that midi chlorians yeah. upsets people. Yeah, oh, you're right. You're yeah, right. Okay. Actually. Because you if, you, if he hadn't gone through that, what are midichlorians? I've been wondering. If you could
1: have read about it in the books or Wikipedia or something later, that would have been fine. Yeah, exactly. Just say, yeah, his midichlorian... You might as well just say his cat's po-ironing board is off the chart. Okay, right. This is the big divider. The special editions. For each of the original trilogy, we're going to look at the changes that have occurred over the years to the different editions. There are three significant cuts, which we'll call 77, 97, and 04, for clarity. The 77 cuts are the original trilogy we know and love. Greedo shoots first, there's someone else playing a holographic Palpatine in Empire, and Sebastian Shaw plays Ghost Anakin. The 97 cuts are the special edition theatrical re-releases, where George first started really tinkering with his work. Greedo shoots first, someone else is still playing Palpatine, and Sebastian is still Anakin. But two songs in Jedi are different, and we're starting to get scared. The 04 cuts are the DVD releases. Han shoots first, but Greedo does get a threatening shot off. Ian McDermott is playing Palpatine, Hayden Christensen is playing Ghost Anakin, and Tamir Morrison has his voice pasted onto Boba Fett. The O-T are available on Amazon right now in a six-disc box set for £14, or $35. You want to be looking for the one with the blue cover with Vader fighting Luke on it. That will give you the 04 DVD cut, along with the bonus discs featuring the original 77 non-special editions in non-anamorphic widescreen. To clarify, non-anamorphic means if you stick it on a decent... HDTV widescreen it'll appear as like a little box surrounded by a sea of black
2: that was good that was good fun watching that on a 22 inch monitor
1: halfway across my room in the middle of
2: the night and I've got this tiny little box
1: yeah I actually really like the old four cuts in terms of of how good they make the films look But there's still not a perfect version available. Each one has flaws. Now, on a side note, that pretty much means that the only way you're going to see the 1997 editions with the shonky-looking CGI Jabba is by buying the old videotapes. Which I've still got. (laughs) And I will never, ever eBay. If you don't own this set, but like Star Wars, then for God's sake, spend the extra cash to get the DVD box set so you can have the original cuts, non-anamorphic though they may be. It may be the only place you're going to be able to see them in years to come.
3: Right. Here
1: is Lucas's quote, which I think actually says a hell of a lot about him. There will be only one and it won't be what I call the rough cut. It'll be the final cut. The other one will be some sort of interesting artifact that people look at and say there was an earlier draft of this. The same thing happens with plays and earlier drafts of books. In essence, the films never get finished, they get abandoned. That's the ones at that's some the, that's point, one there. At some point you're dragged off the picture, kicking and screaming, while somebody says, Loot dude, I'm gonna be kicking you and screaming if you don't get off this fucking picture. While somebody says, Okay, it's done. That really isn't the way it should work. Occasionally, you can go back and get your cut of the video out there, which I did on both American Graffiti and THX 1138. That's the place where it will live forever. So what ends up being important in my mind is what the DVD version is going to look like, because that's what everybody is going to remember. The other version will disappear. Even the 35 million tapes of Star Wars out there won't last more than 30 or 40 years. A hundred years from now, the only version of the movie that anyone will remember will be the DVD version of the special edition. And you'll be able to project it on a 20 inch by 40 inch screen with perfect quality. I think it's the director's prerogative, not the studio's, to go back and reinvent a movie.
2: Fit him with a restraining bolt.
1: <laughs> I love that that was an expanded universe American cinematographer magazine February 1997 this was still what eight years before the DVDs came out this was just after he'd done the special editions before he'd added even more
3: so how many times have they been tinkered with now three so technically it's caught up with Blade Runner (laughs)
1: Technically, he already started tinkering with it in in the early '80s when Empire came out. He added a new hope. There was a mono version of the audio mix, which you know they had to put out there because a lot of theaters back in the '70s didn't even have stereo at the time, and they had to add a few extra bits in there to uh, to to make it make sense. Um, And a lot of those bits that they added on ended up being in later stereo versions of it. I mean, it's 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 been changing for year after year. I think what people really resent is the fact that we can't have. A book set with all of them. You, you mentioned Blade Runner there. At least with the, the most recent edition, you can actually watch every version of Blade Runner, if you want to. The theatrical version, the director's cut, and then the, the final cut.
2: And that's, why I, 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 that's why I hope that eventually they do bring out, even if it is, like, even, like I say, even if they do charge like 40 quid for each film, because you get all those different editions. Because I want... I've got the like I say, I've got the ninety sevens on um video. Those will always be my editions. Those are the versions I watched up and, uh, watched as a kid growing up. Mm. I I I've never seen the nineteen seventy seven um Return of the Jedi. I've never seen it. I've only ever seen So you've you know,
1: never seen the original Jedi rock sound the 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 Jabba's band and uh, I don't the original be- e- sound I don't
2: believe I have. I don't Oh my I have. god I don't believe that. But the ninety seven I and I'm aware that people don't like those, but Empire of New Hope particularly, 97 will always be my version because that's the version I grew up with, that's the version I saw in the cinema and that's the version I've got on video and I don't ever want to lose that but videos will eventually degrade and I want them on DVD. I might have to take Your the odds of
1: what step. George wants. The odds of what the, the odds of the 97 ones being included in the Blu-ray are pretty slim in all yeah. seriousness. Because, I mean, he's, he'll just consider them as yet another step up the ladder on the, uh, the, the road to keeping this thing updated. But, back in 97, he was talking about that the only version in a hundred years from now people will be watching is the DVD. But... What, less than 13 years afterwards, we're already going, when are the friggin' Blu-rays coming out? I mean, it's, they've been out since 2006, he's well late with this one. And, you know, he's not even considered higher definitions, and you know, post-Blu-ray, in 100 years time, people won't be watching Blu-rays. They'll be watching it in some sort of incredible holographic format, I don't know. But will no, just be
2: injected into your mind You plug it like, what was it, Matrix style they just plug it into your head We you can't can imagine,
1: but the point is If you keep fucking changing it every time It's going to be constantly you know, We're never going to be able to get the version That we actually feel most comfortable with In the best possible quality I don't mind him tinkering with them all the time I'd just like to have the originals I made that statement seven years ago at the time of this recording. The Blu-rays subsequently got released with a fourth cut of each film, and as of September 2017, 40 years after the original release of Star Wars, you still cannot get the original cuts in a modern format. Fox, Disney, now would be the exact precise time to negotiate these originals onto 4K. I have a list here of all the changes made for the special 97 edition of A New Hope, plus the new editions for the 04 edition. We can chew through them and discuss, because I actually think it's not such a clear case of black and white. Change is bad, keep these movies the same, that a lot of Star Wars fans echo. I think there's shades of grey and things that really are quite good about the special editions, but also times when George and company went too far. Let's see where you guys stand on this one. Picture quality and sound quality, first up. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that it's more charming hearing the original mix, and yeah, it's kind of, it's also you know really great to listen to records but at the same time if you can listen to it with like really polished up and enhanced audio as long as they don't make any botched up mix situations it's I mean the sound of the 04 versions is absolutely phenomenally good and they've really polished it up and
2: And even like like the fact they um, re-recorded elements of the score for the 97 and 4 edition like when you watch that opening crawl and John Williams amazing majestic theme is quite the word I want to say is poppy do you know what I mean? Party.
5: It's
2: like it like, pa 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 pa. pa, pa.
5: <laughs>
1: as this is the updated version.
2: When you listen when you listen to it, like on the later versions, and it's amazing, particularly like the bit in the middle, like where he ditches the trumpet and goes onto the strings, da, na, 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 and that flows so wonderfully. I prefer the sound of the new ones.
1: Uh, he added a new hope to it after Empire came out, just so that he could people could say, well, what's this one called? I'm fine, with that. <laughs> I, I'm fine with that too. In, in all seriousness, it's, if, it's if you're going to extend it beyond just a single film that sort of you know encompasses everything, it's going to have to have an episode name. You couldn't call Fellowship of the Ring Lord of the Rings. CGI dewbacks uh, and the Imperial Transport that got added to the title. Look, sir, droids. Bit. I like that. I like I'm that. happy with that. I'm fine. I'm actually not happy with it because basically you're looking at the frigging dewback. And you're like, oh, there's there's a little weird like big lizard thing in the background, sort of just knocking about the place. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's okay, like maybe, looking- maybe
2: not maybe not the one that's near the pod. Uh, like you say, like there's there's shades of grey. I don't like the one that's near the pod and is wandering around. I like mm. the one that's on the hill and mm. isn't a cardboard cutter. Actually, just shouts and you, yeah. actually opens its mouth when it goes. Rah!
1: It's To me, it's sort of foreshadowing how much crap got thrust into the prequels in the back. Yeah. It's all this just like a child running around going, Look at me, look at me! Um, the scene with uh, R2-D2 just about to get caught by Jawas, they add a new Tatooine skyline in there. I mean, little subtle things you probably wouldn't remember. That I don't mind. The, no, uh, no, no the new sand crawler sequence where it's much closer up and it looks absolutely huge with a very blue like that. sky. That's that great. Because it great. it makes it look huge again, which I actually think is good. Um, the crate dragon call. Uh, even the 97 version, it's the, it's the old sound effect, but then they added a new sort of... <laughs> I don't know, is that good? Is that bad? I'm gonna sound ignorant. When on earth do you hear the. When Obi Wan Kenobi tries to scare off the sand people. Uh Oh, that. I wanna see one of the sand people going, well, that's not a crate dragon. That's clearly just an old man in a a brown coat who's got a very loud
3: voice. Let's go kick his ass. Oh, wait, he's a Jedi and he's got the lights here, but uh, let's run away. That would have been better.
1: Here are the four different crate dragon calls. First off, there's the 1977 one. Now the
5: 1997
1: one. About the same, a little more oomph. The 2004 DVD one. Which is very over-designed. And my personal favourite, the absolutely ludicrous 2011 Blu-ray one. That's just a guy going,
2: ooh. The sand people are dangerous. He says this. The sand people are really dangerous, etc. You can't go out at night because the sand people. And then when he when he says, "Oh, it might be sand people," come on, let's go have a look.
1: Why? It is a bit more Enid Blyton, and less kind of we had to live with the daily hell of possible sand people raids. outside Ben's house there's an establishing shot uh, which is much more polished in the uh, special editions
5: totally I fine. that. yeah
1: yep Moss Isley. now this is where for me it comes crashing down it starts off with Womp Rats just jigging about in the foreground then when they actually go into Mos Eisley it pulls back and it shows you the whole of this giant CGI Mos Eisley then there's a someone on a swoop and it flies past a Ronto which throws a G- CGI Jower off and then when they're in the crowded street loads of people are walking past and there's all like like crazy dinosaurs and things and the Outrider the, actually this is only a tiny something you wouldn't even notice but the Outrider which is Dash Rendar's ship from Shadows of the Empire actually flies off around that point who uh, it? yeah
2: I'm going to have to I've only just read Shadow of the Empire like a month ago.
1: More precisely in general. I mean, it's it's obvious that when they filmed it, they were like really pushed for time and money and they were sort of throwing it together and they put a bunch of weird like Muppet heads on things and most of the people walking through the street are just regular like people and it, it just looks kind of cheap and shoddy in the 77 version but it looks, you know, it's, it's passable. But
2: maybe, in the- I, maybe I buy too much into what George says, but I like—I didn't mind... So I'm, uh, like's a bit too strong. I didn't mind the Mos because I could see what he was trying to achieve. He's trying to achieve, look, this is a spaceport that is always busy. Mm. And I saw what he was trying to do. Mm. And it doesn't go to the ridiculous levels of things happening like the prequels, where you just don't yeah. know what you're actually going to be looking at.
1: Again, it's... It's less subtle for me, and so, you know, it's not like you're going to miss this one. It's, like, bloody obvious that they've that they've added new stuff to it. It's Basically, it's when the effects suddenly change to things you know they weren't capable of back in 77. You're like, okay,
3: and you, it pushes you out of the picture a bit. I mean, that, that could have been maybe slyly added in a little more. I don't know. Mm. There was too much over-the-topness. That's my problem with the whole, when it, we hit Mos Eisley. I don't mind the fact adding more people, making it look busier, but it's when yeah. you start adding in the creatures, that's yeah. where it gets And
1: out. all the, so the the Jawa flying off the wrong turn Yeah, the them. Jawa. Business. If they are just used... um makes sense to Yeah, me. composite extra stormtroopers and stuff, yeah. Make if the streets was, more was crowded. It, stuff if it, for it was just crap. people
2: walking past and not actually being the centre of attention, it mm. would be
1: fine. Yeah. Now let us return to Ben Kenobi. And there's this
3: magic just taking off that hood there. Yeah, the music cue. He definitely got old quick as well, because what, how old's Luke here? was a
4: baby when he handed him off.
3: Yeah, this is, uh, I think Luke's 19.
4: Yeah, so this is nearly 20 years later.
5: Yeah.
4: A lot of the crew in the London studios, uh, right in London, right? Am I losing my mind? Yeah, Uh, Pinewood for the Death Star, yeah. While they were making this film, this is going to be garbage, why are we here? So that was an attitude that you've got to contend with and the performances we're getting out of these main actors yeah. is <laughs> even better, I think, considering the way that the crew and the, uh, the rest, a lot of the cast felt about it.
3: Yeah.
1: Imagine being there on set and they're like, oh, what's this thing? <laughs> a death star or something, I don't know. It's just a it's a ball on a stick. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah, he wasn't the only American director to face that sort of uh, problem from British crews. James Cameron also ran into it during
4: Aliens as well. Yeah. George was still pretty young at that point, too. Yeah. So even though he'd had a little bit of work under his belt, they were... He'd done American graffiti (laughs) by this point? Yeah. I believe so, yes.
1: But it was probably not the sort of thing that the uh, the British roadies would have seen, and so uh, Mm -hmm. the... um he really didn't earn their respect possibly until Empire came along. Maybe that, maybe that's why Empire is so good because everyone was like, "Right, Star Wars is kind of important. Let's make this one good." Mm. We'll talk about that during Empire, but uh, but yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe just this complete faith that what they were doing was going to be fantastic, and the excitement
3: of that i'm gonna have a strange gush here because this is sort of the side of filmmaking i love i'm looking at the details and how wonderful they are look at the textures of the walls and mm-hmm. the robes and everything i this is the kind of the set dressing and the props of that people just don't always take in because yeah. that's the because that's the right way to do it it shouldn't stand out it
4: should just be there and it should feel right and everything feels so good here
3: from the textures of the
4: walls And he's been here for about 20 years, and this is a little, little hut that he's got. And I think solely due to his time training with meditation and the Force (laughs) is what's keeping him sane.
1: Then when Ben gives Luke his lightsaber. As I said on the podcast, this is a cursed blade used most recently by Anakin to slaughter children.
4: Yeah,
3: that that meme did pop into my head. Yeah, mm-hmm. your father used to have this. He, he killed Very children.
4: Very powerful weapon. Immediately point at face.
3: He's
1: <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, this is shiny. Yes, it could cut arms and heads off. Yeah, that would have been really good to see. Helped the Empire hunt down and destroy Jedi Knights, worthy of an entire film, at least. Helped betray- he betrayed and murdered your father. I mean, that's... True, to an extent. Yeah, but... It's Everything is true, true from, from a certain, a certain point, point of view. Point of view. <laughs> to the other extent,
6: it's a lie. It's yeah, a we, it's total misinformation. You could argue that the, um, the the determination that Obi-Wan has to manipulate the truth at this point is why he didn't give away that he recognised the droids. Yeah. He wants to hold back that information until he knew exactly what he was going to tell them.
1: We're him. retconning performance into it, obviously, yeah. because... Which is
6: so. absolutely fine. Yeah, I know.
1: That's what we do. And, uh, oh, there was that bit where he said, and he was a good friend. No, he wasn't. <laughs> you were not friends. So much being done here with looks. Yeah, a lot of shifty looks back and forth.
6: Mm. Could you maybe me look shifty? Again, you can read into um, Obi-Wan's concealing information at this point. He's He needs to get Luke involved in this.
5: He yeah. does. So he's, he's kind
6: of, he's dangling what will get him interested you get a chance to get away from here and help people and...
1: giving him a, a life quest to destroy Darth Vader in vengeance for killing his father
4: but revenge and is we're coming right up on the Owen oh, and in Beru scene oh and- yeah this is something one of my friends pointed out the most fairly recently and said Star Wars is a broken movie, what's the matter with you? And I... I've just got ideas all in my head. Desktop! stop.
3: Totally crewed by British actors. These guys are all like uh, Hammer Horror alumni, aren't they? Yes.
1: You look at them.
3: Obviously, Pinewood, and who's just walked into a room
1: playing... They've all talking. argued about what's to be done about this Count Dracula. <laughs>
3: And then Van Dooku turns up immediately, I, you were saying,
1: What's <laughs> "I did black ball in the middle of the table. Is there fruit in it? What?" <laughs> so I always
3: thought that they had strepsils on their uh, their breasts.
1: That's exactly <laughs> like what I was just like. Oh, my throat's getting
3: a bit parched. I'm gonna need a lozenge. I'm, I should imagine that's something to do with rank or
4: the medal. Oh, yes. It is. It's their military. It's their military rank. I I do not understand. The color coding, but I well, know that... that guy's
1: that... a moth. That guy's another moth. That guy in the white's a Grand Moth. <laughs> I only
4: know that because I'm a geek, not because of the chest plate.
1: Yeah. Actually, that guy in the white is the only guy who wears a white Imperial uniform in the whole series. I, I He might be like uh, like the same sort of rank as uh, Admiral Thrawn, who also wore
4: white. Grand Admiral Thrawn. Who was a Grand Admiral, yes. Yeah.
1: Maybe that was a Grand Admiral.
4: But as far as I can tell, Tarkin is the head honcho over here first real showing of Sith powers of the Force oh, yeah. really the,
3: the, uh, the, the, the very important there to make it seem like bad stuff's happening I also wonder what what sort of relationship has gone on between Tarkin and Vader here where you know Tarkin snaps at them you know Vader and, and Vader actually backs off because you know the, the only other person that would probably engender that respect would have been the Emperor
1: yeah I think it's almost like around uh, about this period, the Emperor's like, we've got to step up this Vader thing. People are beginning to think he's a bit of a joke. Vader, I give you permission to kill whomsoever you wish. And then suddenly, because Vader's doing that, the Imperial Navy all step up their game because they're terrified he might kill them. No? I
6: think you could um, you could see it that at this point, Vader is kind of like <laughs> the, the prince of the Empire rather than directly involved in the military.
5: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
6: He's the Emperor's um, apprentice, isn't he? Yeah. You killed Captain Nida? Do you know how long it takes Vader to train a captain
1: in the Imperial Navy? Do you know how much credits we sunk into Captain Nida? And you just. Here it comes.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I did. I was trying to frighten everyone.
3: Well, it worked.
4: Yeah, lots of death here. So here we go. Burnt out. Yeah, you were talking about Star Wars being broken. Is this like.? Um, one of my friends was saying that this moment where he sees Baru and Owen, yeah. um, and all of a sudden, it's okay to just leave town. Which is a very...
1: <laughs> let's Let's not tie up their affairs, shall we, or talk to the insurance <laughs> people. Let's just
3: get the hell out of here. Well, you could take that as. Uh, so ooh. gruesome. What happened? That's Did the nasty.
1: Stormtroopers actually, like in Robot Chicken, cover them in gasoline and set them on fire? Did they blast
3: it to pieces? Uh, th- the theory I've heard, which does make sense, is because obviously Tatooine's so, so large a planet to cover that they hired bounty hunters. And it was have-
1: Boba Fett who that. just used his flamethrower. Yeah. Ooh. That's gruesome.
6: But at least he didn't hire another bounty hunter that hired another bounty hunter that hired a robot that hired two sentences.
1: And then Luke's going off on a convoluted 1930s detective pulp novel story to try and find out who
3: is Sifo-Dyas.
1: We never find out! Anyway, enough.
3: Also, again, textures, the walls, just black and... Dr. Ball! If you've no
1: idea who Dr. Ball is, uh, then you need to watch Robot Chicken Star Wars... Too, because it's one of the most loving, ridiculous, and memorable Star Wars parodies out there. It's brilliant. Dramatic pan in! I mean, that's so gruesome. To immediately follow the uh, the, the burnt corpses of uh, so two actors we've already been like seen interacting and been you know being affectionate with each other, and they're dead. And now we bring in this needle bot that would not fit into a U these days. And the BBFC was smoking crack.
3: Just think about that that last scene again where we are talking about Dr. Ball and whatnot. Um, Darth Vader is torturing his own daughter. Yep.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it doesn't really bear thinking Uh, about but, you know, uh, I I kind of like the... the, I don't like it, but I far prefer the this is going to be horrible and then they cut away as opposed to ramming your face in a Game of Thrones. Saw.
3: Yeah. the, The oldest cliche is you will always think of something far scarier with your mind than they can show you loving the, the look, looking at the stormtroopers they're so grimy as well yeah well they're, they're sand troopers. they're
1: more sand now the man
3: <laughs> past 20 years jedis have tried to be lay, lay low has no one explained how you lay low to Kenobi like walk into a bar chop someone's hand off with a lightsaber
6: yeah let me explain to you the meaning of the words low low
3: profile, profile. <laughs> <laughs> then again you're standing next to a wookie yeah pretty I mean... low profile
1: I suppose you kind of had to see what a lightsaber could do at that point.
4: That is a pretty man right there.
1: Yes, it is. Who are we talking about? Oh, I you forgot. mean a young Harrison Ford? I lost myself in his eyes. See, it's very important that Harris that uh, yeah Harrison Ford and uh, like I- Han Solo himself don't give a f about what's going on. <laughs> Because Luke's so earnest that you, like, you juxtapose that with Han and suddenly you've got this really great dynamic going on because you can, sort of, you can push the, uh, the story forward with that kind of like gung-ho hero attitude and then you can have the older sort of like I've been around the block attitude also sort of following him around. It's the Peter Venkman, it's the uh, Tony Stark, it's the people who don't like to be so wide-eyed mm-hmm. versus Ray and Steve.
4: It's hard. I, I want to know what's going seed. through his head because he just got offered a much larger price than he was even. Yeah, he may suggesting. as well just go. Woo-hoo! But at the same time, <laughs> if I was a smuggler, I'd be going. I don't know how on yeah, the this level this a is. Bit
1: too good to be true. And you also look like a Jedi, sir.
3: Yeah, I think he's. Mind you, bear in mind at this point he is in the hole severely to Jabba. Yeah, he, he needs he the money.
1: And he's done a few dodgy deals in his time, and he's thinking, well, maybe a Jedi won't rip me off. Just that, that the manly chest But no, it's the poise, it's the position of him. He's got his leg up, and he's like, I don't have it with me. And, but it's that just not giving Greedo the power in this situation, even though he's gloating.
4: I love the prop. I love the prop gun.
1: Mm, the blast tech. so modeled on a broom handle Mauser. Okay, now we get to the one that everybody uses as, an, as a reason why the Special Editions were crap. And why, if, if this hadn't been in them, I think people would have been more receptive. Fucking Greedo shoots first.
4: Thank you, we're the Cantina Band. If you have any requests, shout them out. Play that same song! Alright, same song, here we go!
1: Okay, now, there is a reason why Greedo shot first. Because Lucas wanted to establish Han Solo as a roguish kind of guy, but a stand-up guy. And he only shoots when he's shot at. (laughs) He somehow managed to get the character of Greedo, who never shot at all, to fire a laser blast at Han. And in retaliation, Han, who was getting his gun ready at the time, shoots him in a kind of, well, if you're going to shoot me, I'm going to defend myself kind of way. In the original version, Han's getting his gun ready, and and Greedo's sort of, you know, ha ha ha, I'm going to lead you to Jabba. But Greedo has no intention of killing him right there absolutely none, and so Han's like now fuck that and caps him right there in the bar and then just walks off cold as ice and goes sorry about the mess that's a great way of establishing that Han is not like Luke It's a really great way of... This guy has been around, and he has dealt with some shady characters. He's not going to take any shit from anyone. It is a great way of establishing Han. And having Greedo shoot at him, and and Greedo almost killing him, because he got sloppy and allowed himself to be cornered like that, sucks. It really does. And the way it's done is so, like... It's messing with something we already know is really cool. It'd be like... It'd be
2: like John McClane trying to pull Hans Gruber up before he falls off the, the building.
1: Yes! And it, yeah, in fact, just like digitally, we re- you know changing it so that uh, you know a CGI arm leaps out and does that. Hans, grab my hand, and then Hans tried to shoot him. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's,
2: it's- know, I I completely agree with you. because like, Hans is the best guy. He's he's the rogue, and like you said, like, it just does show him as incompetent. If you if he lets himself get that close, it just he that him Hans shooting first establishes him as a badass, mm. as the kind of cocky. Road and it just it's so he's a pirate even, exactly it's so in keeping with the character the reason he is he's able to get away with so much with jabba he you know the reason he's still alive and not dead mm. and still able to promise jabba don't worry i'll pay you back later is because he spent years of establishing himself as a world-class well universal class galaxy class smuggler who can handle absolutely anything i mean what's i can't remember which one it is one of the films he says um chewie and i have been in a lot worse scrapes than this you believe him. Mm. You believe him because he has. I, I, you know, I'd love to read more stories about like, you know, like what those two got through. Oh, the Han sure Solo are. trilogy. I, so I hear I, my housemate is, is that cool.
1: the one with Bollocks or Blue Max? <laughs> I think it's the one with Blue Max. Although I'm not <laughs> he was called kid. Bollocks yeah. in the American version. B O L L U X. Nice. It was a droid. Okay bollocks the updated version in the 04 basically he sort of listened to everyone saying Han should shoot first Greedo gets a shot off as Han's shooting him implying that he was readying himself to pull the trigger and basically Han got in there just in time and Han wasn't really playing defense he was just being cautious but at the same time it's kind of like a halfway house all he had to do was just restore the original badass moment everyone would be like yes these are the ultimate version
3: I think just that scene is just reminding us is meant to be reminding us that Han isn't a good guy. That's mm-hmm. the plain point of it. He's not at that point. Yeah. He is not a good guy. Because because that's, that's his character arc. Count, his, yeah. his
2: character arc is that he, he he's almost the opposite of Darth Vader, of Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, etc. He is an evil guy that becomes good.
1: I said that in episode two. He, episodes, he's, yeah, um, he's just a prick. Uh, but Anakin becomes more and more of a prick. <laughs> Until eventually it becomes a child murdering prick. Now, Jabba the Hutt, for the original 77 version, this scene wasn't in there, but it was basically a guy in a hairy outfit who was supposed to be Jabba the Hutt having a conversation with, with Han but outside the Falcon, we're surrounded by bounty hunters. George claims they were going to put a puppet in afterwards or something. Again, I don't think he knows that they weren't. I think originally I as written... As written, Jabba was supposed to be this just sort of guy, which is why when, at the end when Han goes up the ramp, he goes, you're a wonderful human being, Jabba. He wouldn't say that if he clearly wasn't a human being. Oh, no, 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 no. As it is, let's, it's let's, kind let's, of ironic, but in a kind of a, hmm, well, he says this, and there's nothing else we can say at this point. And I, I always
2: took that, that footage of the original scene, you know, pre-CGI slug as kind of, we'll film this now, because you know, a lot of the Star Wars films were filmed in a, we'll get what we can, mm. we'll film this now, if need be, we'll do it later. I mean, he says in the um, commentary on the, mm. the O4 DVD, that half the stuff filmed on Tatooine was filmed after they came back from Tunisia. Like, certainly, like, the Jawa attack on uh, R2 was filmed in Death Valley. Yeah, that was in um, Arizona, yeah. In Arizona, because they couldn't do it in Tunisia, because Archie wouldn't move across the sand, etc. Likewise, I think he honestly thought he had that time, or someone would have said, "Well, we've got the time. We'll film this now, and if need be, we'll redo it." Then why did he say you're a wonderful human being? Because in the original draft, in the original draft, maybe it was a human being, or maybe he was trying to be ironic, or whatever. Well- maybe he was more humanoid in the original.
3: Thing. Or maybe it's just Han being insulting.
1: Okay, but everything points to it being the opposite, and then only having filmed him as a, a guy, because Han walks around him, and they that's have to that's physically that's push <laughs> Harrison Ford up and over, and he walks on Jabba's fucking tail. In the origi- in the 97 version, the one you love so much, James, Jabba's like... Urgh.
3: He does that in the 04 version.
1: And and the o- really nah, bad. In the 04 version, Jabba's about to hit him at that point. Really? Yeah, I've not seen that bit. Watch it. Jabba to... looks like he wheels around like he's actually about to punch him. Okay. And ultimately, so I've uh, in the comics, huts eat people, and he was quite yes. capable of
5: doing
2: that. that, that that's like well, that, that's the whole Jedi thing, wasn't it? Like, when he pulls them um, Leia to his face and licks his lips, he's like he's yeah. clearly gonna he's sizing her up for dinner. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, okay, okay. I, I love my ninety-seven versions, but I agreed with um, Neil earlier today that yes, the Jabba scene is pointless and. Mm. And the scene. and again, maybe I buy too much into George. I don't find the, him suddenly standing up and going, I don't find that horrendous, like the, him going over the thing, because I think, well, that's all they were technologically able to do.
5: Mm.
2: And, you know, better that than him just to walk through the tail. It shows that they at least thought about it.
0: SOLO! Right here, Java. I've been waiting for you. Have you not? You didn't think I was going to run, did you? Ah, my boy, there are times you disappoint me. Why haven't you paid me? And why did you have to fry poor Greedo like that? After all we've been through together.
2: Would it, would this conversation not be different if he'd walked through and we'd be beating, well, how is he just walking through the
3: tale? I, I don't think they could actually release that film. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that scene's needed. It's pointless. Yeah. And the only other it's extra not. bit that scene adds in is, oh, it shows that Boba, Boba Fett, Fett is Fett working for... Yeah. for...
1: Hot. I'm intrigued. It was Boba Fett in the original scene? I've never actually seen it with the guy. He wasn't. I don't know. Like when, when he walks past and turns to look at the camera in the O4 version and goes, ha ha, yeah, huh? Boba Fett. <laughs> um, <laughs> That, 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 I'm sorry, that's that all, seems I'm, I'm like it's an this,
2: We'll talk about this more like next week, but that's all Boba Fett does. He just stands there. and goes, ha I'm
1: Boba Fett. That's all really? he does, he stands. <laughs> the giant chicken is Boba Fett. But at least the 04 version of Jabba the Hutt looks like him. The, the 97 version is awful. Yeah,
3: It's just an awful scene anyway, so...
2: Well, the 97 the 97 Jabba the Hutt is the Phantom Menace
1: Jabba the Hutt, isn't it? No, no,
3: the 04 Jabba the Hutt is the Phantom Menace Jabba the Hutt. Much better.
1: Oh, is it? Okay. His eyes look dull and lifeless. They're
5: gaining on
1: us! We'll be safe enough once we make the jump to hyperspace. Besides, I know a few maneuvers. We'll lose them. Uh, that... that was your maneuver? Moving slightly to the left? Well, I mean, we're we're not in the same place we were. Eh? That ought to confuse them. Yeah, but you hardly did anything. You just started listing lazily
4: to the left. Mm. I'm pretty sure they can keep up. Where do they go? There they are. They're listing lazily to the left. Go left, left. Boy, this guy knows some maneuvers.
1: After that, there's nothing really significant that's been changed hugely about uh, Star Wars. There's a uh, a new scene of the Falcon taking off. Uh, When Alderaan explodes, it does it. Much prefer
2: that second, that new season of the Falcon taking off. That looks really cool. Yeah, me too. Seeing that ship properly for the first time.
1: When you, You get that big... Blue stripe of uh, of it flying off.
5: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Alderaan explodes much more um, impressively. Yep. Uh, the Death Star docking bay was retouched to make it look a bit more like it did in Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. There's a bit where Han goes running off and then encounters, in the original version, seven stormtroopers and a dead end. But in the new version, he, he encounters like a hundred stormtroopers and TIE fighters. And it seems much more comedic and kind of a what the hell have you just let yourself in for. See, that, that
2: is a reason why I love the 97. That is one reason why I love the 97s and cause subsequently the 04s. Like, uh, yeah, like just the special editions, because that has so much impact. If you look at it beforehand, it's Han chasing after six armoured heavily armed stormtroopers who then get round the corner and realise they outgun this guy. Mm. And it just... And
1: it looks stupid. Him it's kind of three stooges, isn't it? Yeah, very... It's it's, it's comical. They, they should but, really be running back and forth across a corridor where, you know, between doors. like Yeah, a French to, the Benny, to
2: the Benny Hill thing. <laughs>
1: it's, it's,
2: it's comical, but not for the right reasons. When he runs in and he's like, oh my God, ah... It runs And it's got much more impact, and it's much more in keeping with they redid it in Indiana Jones um, and the Temple of Doom, where he runs after two guys up to the camera, and then you see his face and he panics and runs back, and then a hundred Gurkha guards, or whatever they are, just run after him. It's much, much better that way round. And that's another reason why, because there were points where the special editions did actually make more sense and had more impact. Mm. Um, I mean,
3: the addition of additional... Troopers makes it feel like this is a huge. Because bear in mind, when we watch, when you watch Star Wars, they're only in a tiny, tiny portion of this huge space station. Mm-hmm. Adding in the stormtroopers helps you feel the size of it. Like, wow, that's a whole battalion. Cha- you just walked in on a whole battalion, you know.
1: They say that it's, uh, they're on level 4 and level 5 when they split up. It's like 160 kilometres across this thing, <laughs> and they're only on levels 4 and 5. You'd imagine they'd be pretty far south at that point.
2: Actually, that brings up, like, I don't know if you've listened to um, any of the uh, different point of views, but one, of the first one he's, um, the, of the Stormtroopers' essays is about how everyone goes on about the, um, the Death Scar- escape as examples of how Stormtroopers are shit shots, and they can't shoot for Toffee. Mm. As he accurately points out, if you've put a tracking device on a ship, you'd try and herd the people who were trying to escape onto that ship yeah. so you can follow it. And because the Death Star is so big, you need to herd them with lots and lots of stormtroopers. Yeah.
1: And that that doesn't and make it sense it does make sense. I've got to listen to those, thank you. You did. You do need to listen to them. Is it called a certain oh. point of view or a different point it's, of it's view? It's a different point of view. Oh a certain point of view. Biggs was added to this one. Now that I'd read the Star Wars novelization back when I was like ten. And so, you know, Seven years later, when I saw this, and Biggs actually became a character. Um, this is one of Luke's old friends from Tatooine, but watching the 77 version, you bloody wouldn't know. Because he hardly refers to him at all. In yeah. fact, I think he sort of... I'm not even sure they mention him.
2: Like, he, he does get mentioned, because I was... i That's the thing, I watched the 77 version, and I couldn't work out why he didn't turn up, because I had heard his name mentioned. He, he mentions it at the start, I was like, oh, you know... That's what you said when Biggs and, and Tank left. Yeah, Biggs and Tank left. What is the scene? Like, so, I once rented out from my local library the Star Wars A to Z of characters, mm. and it gives all of the, like, the original trilogy and all the little characters the toys. It's the catalogue, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, <laughs> that was just to keep Alex happy, Neil. I'm sorry. Mm. Um, there was a big two-page you know biography, and there's a picture of him
1: and Luke in Mos, yeah, Mos Eisley. earlier scene. Uh, it's actually, Where is that from? It's Anchorhead. Uh, he goes there before... Well, There was a whole scene at the beginning where he's watching the Tantive get uh, sucked in by the Star Destroyer. And it's this sort of aerial battle taking place in the skies above Tatooine. And then he goes off to Anchorhead and meets his friends. And Biggs is basically going off to join the Rebels. And he's like, oh, I want to come with you, but meh, my uncle. And uh, Biggs is like, take care of yourself, Luke. And then when they meet again at the end, it's like, hey, Luke, oh, we're going to take on the whole Empire. And that's the sort of rounding of the character. And then when Biggs gets killed, you're like, Luke has nothing left of his earlier life. He's yeah. only got the Force at this point. And that's a great arc for Luke, and they should have put in not only that scene where he meets Biggs in the in the hangar, but the earlier scene. If they can get that into the new versions, that would be great.
2: That just sounds- I, think, I think the, the, the later scene suffices. You see the, the, the just the strength of that friendship hug. I mean, we've all had those man hugs. We've hmm. all done that. We've all run to see each other at a pub and quick, you know, man slap on the back. And just that man slap does establish that, wow, these two are really good mates. They've been knowing each other so long, and then you do feel it when he dies. When you, you know, 1977 version, it's like, oh, another one's down. Oh, well, yep. red shirt. <laughs> okay, well, slightly
1: orange is shirt. Down. There's a big surprise.
3: Yeah. <laughs> just think he doesn't look really <laughs>
1: airworthy. <laughs> 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 Who suddenly decides that Luke's the in charge? Good point. I don't know. I think everyone else dies. Well, no, Wedge is there. Wedge sure. should actually outrank him, yeah.
2: Yeah. But no but I, I I thought that, but I I take it as like Wedge obviously is a kind of re- new recruit at this stage, he must be.
3: No Wedge oh,
1: out- and Luke's right a fucking commander at that stage. No okay. no, no, no excuses, you- Luke should not be in charge you're right.
3: I'm sure Wedge Until Wedge until just get the name in, um <laughs> <laughs> Um outranks him. Yeah, he goes I I'm sure it's uh Wedge that says uh you call a shots boss or something like that. There's
1: Luke wants to join the academy, right? And it's never really gone into, but the academy is the Imperial Academy that where they train Tie Fighter pilots.
2: I think I think he. Would, I've always read that as he wants to go into the academy. He wants to learn to fly, how to, and learn then, to fly, learn to be a pilot, and, and he, then defect and, and, and it, join the rebellion. Exactly, which is what so many Imperial
1: then Rebel characters do.
3: Mm. That's what happened with Han. Yeah.
1: Exactly, yeah. But that, we, they, they never go into that. That would have been interesting. This, this is the thing. This is what... I, I,
2: I'm watching it this time round. The first half of the film is so much more intriguing.
1: The third third of it, I do start getting a bit sleepy.
2: It's as soon as they're on the Death Star and they... I'd, I'd almost say as soon as they leave the um, the control room and go to rescue the princess, after that it becomes a mindless action B-movie. You're going from shootout to shootout to
1: battle to space battle. Just to swinging over like Errol Flynn.
2: Exactly. And there's so many cliché things, and I don't know if they're clichéd because they were in Star Wars or because... They were cliches before. Well, no, a
1: lot yeah. of it was from Buck Rogers and that sort of thing. Yeah,
2: exactly. You know, the swinging across the trench. There's no need for that trench. Why is there a trench on on the Death Star? Why is there? Why would you retract that bridge? <laughs> why would you have your tractor beam controls, a fairly essential system, on a fucking ledge in the middle of nowhere? The technicians must love that job.
1: Why don't they let droids in? I suppose it's, just I mean, they don't drink.
4: I understand that they don't let droids in a like a casino or something where you could have something technological be messed with by say a astromech who's good at hacking things. Yeah. But in a in a bar, it's just going to be straight up dislike of non-organics.
1: Yeah. And also the way he said it, like we don't
4: serve their kind here,
1: as opposed to uh, no droids. Like almost like he should just be going no trainers. Because <laughs> it's a posh joint.
3: <laughs> yeah, no shoes, no service. No arms,
1: no service. <laughs>
4: There's a weird blowfish thing floating around over there.
1: Yeah, I mean, Han definitely knows that Obi-Wan's a Jedi. He just saw him cut a guy's arm off with a lightsaber. I yeah. Think,
3: again, money. Money Obi-Wan, tonks.
1: not the most low profile. I mean, how did he stay hidden for all those years? If That's anything, why he's in a like, hut
3: in the middle of the desert.
1: Yeah, he's like, well, I want to whip it out at any point. <laughs> What a piece of junk. and the oh. most beautiful, wonderful freighter ever.
3: Again, I will point out my my love of Practical. Mm. Look at this scene where you introduce the Falcon and tell me that that is why Practical is love. The gun belt like gunslinger uh, setup that Hans
1: got there influences his entire character because it's sort of it's low on his hip, which allows him to sort of like draw it out at any moment. But it also, it's kind of like a lazy like you can see my gun. Kind of thing. He doesn't have to sweep back his duster to show it.
6: The shooting Greedo is that much more important because you know that not only does he have that gun to easy access, mm. he's damn well going to use it.
1: Whether they attack him first or not. Yeah. I mean, technically, Greedo threatened the, threatened his life and his ship, and uh, there's not there is no reason why Han wouldn't just blow him away. Later on the Death Star with Grand Moff Tarkin. There's a great shot coming up here where you just see Leia's uh, eyes panicking behind his shoulder it's an excellent way in showing in a film suitable for children the the uh, the pressure and the um uh, the, the threat of this
3: situation i just i love cipher where they have the buttons and switches to flip it just feels so good <laughs> yeah this 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 that's as clear as going i'd uh, that, that that and we'll pull this analog it, tech is way cooler i agree it, oh yeah it looks like you could
1: accidentally press a few buttons there on this giant panel Oop. of buttons with no words attached to them, so that you don't even know what they are, and you Down might accidentally destroy a different little
3: Yeah, it's almost like a bit of hands rubbed off on, Chucky, uh, on Chewie, if that makes sense. <laughs> Chucky! Yeah!
4: Chuck back! Very different <laughs> movie. Chuck
3: the Wookiee. But it, it, you could almost see it as that's a bit sort of hand rubbing off on him, though, because that is almost like the cocky move that you see Hand do earlier. Sorry, Hand did a cocky move and rubbed off on Chucky. <laughs>
1: This is supposed to be a child-friendly podcast. I'm going to beep the... Uh, I, you press. are the
3: one lowering the tone, sir. What?
1: Okay, right. You're, you're absolutely right. There's nothing <laughs> sordid about what you just described. Hokey religions and ancient weapons. This this is, I suppose, what hammers home how dead the Jedi now are. Like, throughout Han, Han's lifetime, as a... Like, he'd have been ten when the Jedi were wiped off the map, but clearly didn't see met much of their shenanigans before that happened.
3: Yeah, I think that's probably uh... a... <laughs> A failing of the prequels—that's where we focus so much on the Jedi. We think they're so prevalent, omnipresent, the yeah—that yeah, they weren't. But that's a fine point. You know, it's always one of those things that's always bugged me about this. Is like, how can the Jedi have been forgotten so quickly in sh- such a short time? Ancient so- religions it's thirty years. That by that
1: rationale, this film is an ancient film. Not
4: twenty years. It's 30, no, it's yeah, twenty, 20 years. years.
3: Yeah.
1: this film is a doubly ancient film
4: which honestly that is an easy like people's consciousness thing to lose mm. um if you look back to um the old testament mm. you will see continuously god's chosen people completely forget about the miracle they just witnessed and go what god i don't know what you're talking about let's <laughs> make a golden calf
3: bunch of morons I said that it could be easily explained because obviously with the prequels we follow the Jedi so closely that you you think it's all because it's all Jedi you, you don't get a sense of mm. how they relate to to the wider world True. Having just
1: destroyed Alderaan let's go back to the Imperials chatting around their table with that weird ball in the middle
3: That ball is still there
1: Yeah, maybe it's where Dr. Ball sleeps
5: <laughs> For
1: goodness sake I'm, Let's have a little competition here folks send me messages and write in the comments if there are comments available what's in that ball on the table best answer wins a bun now I could be wrong here but this possibly is one of the highest body counts in a family film ever because if you think about it millions of people were just suddenly killed to really beat that you're gonna have to go with like 2012, where billions of people are killed, or something wherein the universe is destroyed, and then for some reason not put right again, or a small galaxy—I don't
0: know. Right.
3: And that noise, that
1: yeah. noise, and that's distinctive because it never—it never turns up anywhere else in any other film as anything else. You can hear that noise, and you instantly know what that is. <laughs> when that sound turns up in the trailer uh, for Episode Seven, you're like, oh and like just that that little flash at
3: the end I'd just like to say the perfect piece of editing is when that score kicks in as well as when you see the Falcon mm. Oh, combination of two there is just that is really good editing
1: I'm so glad John Williams is still alive to actually be able to provide even just to see in this new series of movies
3: How far out does that tractor beam work? It's a big station. I
6: was it say I will, have its own gravitational pull?
1: What, the Death Star? Yeah. No, it's oh. a tractor beam.
6: Well, yeah, it would also would.
1: Otherwise, you know, all the X-Wings would have crashed immediately as they went wait, near it. it have some sort of gravitational pull? Because it is kind of massive. It is the size it's of true. a small moon. It should have about as much um, gravity as our moon, or a smaller version of our moon. So basically, you could sort of bounce around on top of it.
4: One cool thing about the Star Wars universe is that the space and gravity elements, and just the way that their universe works, is is very very different from our own. At least yeah. as far as what science has understood about the way that the way that the universe works, because uh, un- very unfortunately, it kind of broke it broke my uh, my understanding of space. Uh, we had one of uh, one of our. Fellow church members, who is like uh, an astrophysics kind of a professor guy at our local university, he did a couple of, of weeks and taught us a little bit, just a kind of a basic run through of of the way that the way that space works. We were talking about uh, the whole Big Bang theory and stuff like that, and with the whole expansion of our universe and the way that it's always expanding and expanding expanding, you can't you can't make cool space travel things like. Always know that it's going to be a three-day hyperspace jump to Tatooine. Like, it's not... That doesn't not that work fixed. in our universe. And I love that it's All fixed, right. and I love that it's it's accessible in the Star mm. Wars world. Again,
1: they've almost made it mundane. Like, oh, yeah.
4: three days to get from this
1: planet to this planet. It's like uh, frontier travel. They're making it like yeah. a western. Mm-hmm. It's going to be three days'
4: ride to get there.
1: <laughs> so trying to resist. Back me. with the
4: cowboys with fast talkers.
1: <laughs> you don't want to go down that road. Always look out for Stormtrooper inconsistency. Like, if you look at the troopers in the background, they're all standing in slightly different ways. They're less organized than they might seem. That guy's waggling his <laughs> head, the shuffling. Too. There's, like, specifically one of the worst ones is in Cloud City. There's, like, one with, like, his shoulder arm is practically hanging off, and he's, like, standing on one hip with Vader right there. And it's like, hey, Vader, check out my attitude.
4: I want to know what that stormtrooper who just walked out the entrance thought he was going to do in this close quarters with that giant rifle. Yeah. They, they they have access to smaller rifles. The yeah. E-11 is a pretty tiny little blaster rifle. Maybe,
3: maybe he's actually one of the smarter stormtroopers that realize he can't aim for Toffee with ah. the
4: E-111, so he's using the bigger one. It's he's the spray and pray Stormy.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's also, great. Basically, when Chewie puts his little head up there and goes, suddenly all the kids love him.
3: I'm just more thinking, you wouldn't want to be in that compartment because you're in there with Han and Chewie.
4: Yeah. Ooh. You know what? I don't think it's cubes, I don't think it's just the yell stuff. that makes them love Chewie. I think mm. it's the fact that Han pet his head.
1: Yeah, yeah. his head just because pops up like a gum. He's then
4: as not only a friend, a close trusted friend, but he's also acceptable as, oh, you're fluffy. Oh, is, that a, <laughs> is that some kind of fight going on in there?
1: What's nah, that? It sounds be. like two people getting clobbered. Let's go up there. Better go check don't. it out. I look at that <laughs> old computer panel. Just like it's, it's interesting to think that that technology will never look like this. Ever, it's so tinged with the seventies. There'll be there'll be elements of
4: this I mean, on this was our space station. A long stations. time ago, though, yeah. in a galaxy far, far, far away. away.
3: But no, so you watch science fiction, and they all take they obviously take their cues from what we have now. You look at sort of TNG, for example, and it was all touchscreen. Yeah, before we
1: had touchscreen, now yeah. you know, well, it was, yeah, they they say they lay the groundwork.
3: It's like, like the joke is that you know the new, the new Star Treks are the Enterprise designed by Apple.
4: Yeah. You don't want to know how many songs we can keep in this baby.
1: Again, Han's uh, like reluctance to do anything at this point, kind of like it pushes the story onwards because you want stuff to happen, but at the same time, you're kind of with Han like, this is dangerous. I don't want to go out
3: there. You're stuck on a giant Imperial starbase. You're kind of stuck, Han. Yeah.
1: You don't have much choice, going to sit here and Obi-Wan Kenobi goes off alone.
4: When he leaves them right now, Mm -hmm. does he know he's not going to join them again? I think he suspects it.
1: He he had no intention of going out there, I will go out and sacrifice myself, but he certainly uh, was putting their well-being over his own. Yeah, he was sort of... Well, specifically Luke's. But it, he kind of has to keep them all alive, because uh, without Han and Chewie, Luke's not going to be able to get out of there. Yeah, he's not getting far. Yeah. And also, uh, he does want them to rescue the princess as well. It's not just get out of here. It's like, you know, we, we, if, ah, no, hang on. He doesn't know about the princess, does he? Is this, they find this out afterwards. But had he known...
4: Luke's he might be able to sense right. that she's around and... That's just mm. going to depend on, you know, the way the forces swing in that day. Again, look at how filthy
1: uh, 3PO still is. Look at his uh, his casing all covered in grime and
3: fingerprints. See, this is what I like about the older sci-fi stuff in general. It's just how gr- even sort of the nicer features are all still kind of grimy. It's just a nice, really lived in touch that stuff like, say, something like iRobot never managed to capture. Everything was far too clean. Yeah. The... Although I will say, stretching up their their stormtrooper armor is immaculate.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful.
4: Again, In the uh, future that's tech us- I'm dealing with right now, as I'm having a hard time with, is the Alien Isolation video game. Mm. Very similar. It's all super analog, super old. But I'm in space right now, and that tape deck appears to be <laughs> holding things together. That's yep. terrifying.
1: I was going to mention that. I, I really love the decor in there. That was the thing I loved most about that game. It, it, it convinced me of a, uh, a future wherein everything kind of like was designed in the late 70s.
3: Which is a nice look. It, it's got a good feel to it. Yeah. But again, that's
1: kind of what, because they're very much of their age... The Star Wars films convince you of this one thing, and that's all they need to convince you of, to mm-hmm. the point where when we think of Star Wars, we think of this, not I wonder what technology will be like now in the Star Wars universe. We think of X Wings, not, you know, the 40 the year descendants of X Wings. And then the Stormtroopers attack. Right, now at this point, I think it's probably the biggest massacre, like, straight out firefight in Star Wars history. I mean, possibly except for the. Uh, ju- the yeah okay wait the, the biggest um, massacre perpetrated by the heroes. Yes I would I can agree with that like, they just shoot these guys through the hearts just
4: just capping death squads. It still blows me away that chewie has not been hit.
1: That guy's tactical decision was I'm going to run down this corridor with my gun like almost like I'm ready to trip over and uh, at these attacking stormtroopers and hope they won't shoot me. While I am a fish in a barrel.
0: Basically, good, it's the call of duty
1: approach. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's, I there's actual it. cover right there. They use it in a few minutes. Love this point.
3: How, How are you? This <laughs> is that look. There we goes, Oh, what did uh, I say? that's not. Good. <laughs> but, uh,
4: have you noticed we get quiet every time Han is featured?
1: Yeah, because he's, be- I mean, he's got the best delivery, the best lines. And I suspect they're the best lines because the original lines were not as good.
3: I was going to say, it's one of those things, you know, when you're a kid and you, you watch Star Wars, you want to be Luke Skywalker. But mm-hmm. as you get older, you, you want to be Han Solo. And aren't you a little short to be a Stormtrooper? I am obsessed with knowing what is in that bowl now you've pointed See, it out. They open the top of it and there's cheesy poops. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You want an Imperial Buffet.
4: It is all contained within this ball. It contains look how my- I- evil the chairs look. They are evil chairs. They're very pointed. Kind of got that hole in the middle. It's very Saruma, or Sauron. Yeah. That's,
1: we don't really see the ceiling but I imagine that at one point Tarkin goes, a fruit, fruit please. <laughs> and you get a little one of those things popped out.
5: We're trapped!
1: Oh, Darth. You really can hydrate a good pizza. Pew, pew, pew. Firing one-handed like crazy that guy's holding his magazine <laughs> not like a paper magazine like he's just holding it wasn't it like-
4: an especially uh, high quality clone batch well they're yeah. not clones by this point yeah no yeah a lot of the, most of yeah. the
1: stormtroopers folks uh by this point surely by uh, uh the standards of the mostly more recent fiction um, all the clones had started to die out or go crazy or um, were being eliminated and there were only a few batches of clones still mucking around
4: and even that's... then those clones were not necessarily optimized for uh, for combat or things uh, it had become a trend and granted this is according to Legends Universe mm-hmm. uh, it had become a trend that if say a moth or some Imperial officer had done a really good thing they might get a batch of Stormtrooper clones of themselves as oh, a reward dude. That's kind of creepy, isn't yeah, it gross? That's
3: Weird.
1: Also, you're assuming that Grand Moth Jerjerod's particularly good at being a stormtrooper. Yeah. Which you wouldn't
3: think, really.
1: I think Jerjerod's that one It turns up at the beginning of uh, Jedi and uh, and goes uh, the the Death Star two will be completed on schedule.
0: I hope so, Commander, for your sake.
4: Kicking the Wookiee in the butt. <laughs> that's dangerous there's one guy in the universe who can do that yeah also if any of you listeners out there are um on twitter and you're listening to this podcast and you're not following peter mayhew uh his handle is my favorite twitter handle i've seen it's at the wookie roars nice (laughs) i've got to
1: show some appreciation for for that Like all of the actual costume designs and and character designs of the hero characters in the original Star Wars are absolutely superb and beyond iconic. Um, The stormtrooper armor, in particular, uh, like there have been a whole bunch of stormtrooper type uh, baddies made since then, you know, from cobras to hydra guys, and none of them compare to the original stormtrooper armor. It's just so, like, how, how do I put it? It's sculpted. It's more than that, though. It's something about the fact that it's white stands them apart from the average uh, sort of grunt foot soldiers.
4: It brings some extra form of fear, I think, to the party. Mm. And it's because they're all uniform, because they are all faceless.
5: Mm.
1: But, I mean, we've had faceless troops who just get shot before and since... So why this? Why is why is this Stormtrooper armor so like it's it's fantastic? It was fantastic when I was four and I first saw this, and it's fantastic now.
4: And there are a lot a lot of people who who agree with this and have created their own Stormtrooper oh, armor. And yeah, they do their their cosplay thing. I'm so impressed by these uh, the legion these cosplayers yeah. who get in there, the yeah, the 500 first.
3: yeah do a lot of good charity work as well, which is really nice.
1: That's one thing I did like about the Clone Wars, the extended Clone Wars um, show. And I didn't like a, a huge amount about it, but being able to actually personify the, the clones and make them distinct from each other and make the point that they're not all the same guy.
4: And I believe that's still the one voice actor, is Dee Bradley Baker, who does those. Mm. And he's... Yeah. I, I saw him in a documentary. I think it was on I Know yeah. That Voice... Uh, yeah, talking it's a great about
1: documentary.
4: How he is still, you know, same voice, same accent, being the same guy, uh, based off of the actor who played Django Tameer in Priam prequels. Django. Still making a different Django. Django. <laughs> There's no D in that one, <laughs> but he's still bringing different characters to those voices. It's it's awesome.
5: Yeah.
1: I don't know. Just something about the fact that like Han and Luke are, are so hapless here, and like they've they've got this armor on, but it's not really going to protect them much. And it's, mm.
4: they're way out of their element.
1: Yeah, they're they're in the deep end here. It's it's a great kind of moment thematically of like you know well, well okay right we've got the princess that's the hard bit now how
3: the hell do we get out of here? Flying by the seat of the pants kind of thing. Yeah. Also, I just want to point out, because we're talking voice actors, it, it, I love the fact that right here we have Mark Hamill, who's playing the whiter than the white, or not at this moment, you know, <laughs> babyface hero. And mm-hmm. later on in his career, he goes on to play, he is the most iconic Joker for me. I told you, shut down all the garbage mashes in the detention level.
4: <laughs> Ideally, when I move out to LA, I'll get to work with him on some cartoons. That'd be fun.
1: Oh, my God. If you do that. I'm gonna come and stay in your basement. I <laughs> you <laughs> don't really right, have well, much uh, of an option on this
4: one. <laughs> I'll keep a I'll keep a cot ready for you.
3: Did that guy bump his head? Or did it, oh, I missed it. I think it's when they first come into the room. I never know when him. it is. I think it's when they first come into the room. He bangs his head. Of all the things to sub, to eat. like obsess over
1: and to keep replicating over and over again, yeah. though,
3: it, it just makes you laugh. How um, you know he uh, with the, the retouches and stuff he does, he he was changing things and things, but always left that in. Maybe it never got around to him.
1: No, he knows about it. <laughs> he had he had Django Django bash his head accidentally on the slave one. Um, when, yeah. the, when he was uh, re-entering it after <laughs> having kicked Obi-Wan's ass. <laughs> That's supposed to be heredity, except for the fact that most of the stormtroopers in this are not clones. Again, it actually seems like like sticking a, a thing in a slot and twirling it would be a quality way of getting hold of information from a giant computer database. That is
3: believable. Well, it's either stick something in a slot and twirl it, or stick a giant spike in a slot.
1: Yeah. It's ancient Robocop-style USB. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although R2 can't use his as a weapon.
4: I still don't think they'll be able to get Luke out of here without opening the doors again, or opening those crushers again, because he's buried.
1: Uh, maybe it was just that the Imperials were only throwing away their polystyrene stuff.
4: That's probably a <laughs> lots of foam. If you actually. I don't think they're very uh, environmentally conscious.
1: I think the Dianogle must uh, get in and out of uh, different trash compactors with uh, different vents because if you remember, he, he uh, beat feet as soon as he f- f- heard the sound that it was going to start crushing. Mm. He was like, well, I'm out of here.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> now look out for some awesome map painting work here. Look at that.
3: Oh, it's gorgeous. And still convincing. Look, somewhat of a lost art as well Matt yeah princess has no fear I shall call a walkie a walking carpet
5: yeah
1: but she's spunky and again this didn't really happen that much up to this point I mean I'm sure there were sort of like spunky heroines but um in, in a fantasy setting like Leia you know if you're gonna have one female thank Christ it was
4: Leia. Obi-Wan did a really nice thing here by distracting those stormtroopers instead of pushing them them. off the edge.
1: Yeah, he could totally just go... Ah! Let's face it. That's what we all would have done. Why do they run? Why do the stormtroopers run? I don't know. Because they know what's around the corner. It doesn't make any sense. Why would they run? There's no reason.
4: It's just like at the beginning of West Side Story, you know, the the sharks chase the jets and then the jets lead them to more jets.
1: But they didn't tell us there'd be a Wookiee there. Chase it!
4: (laughs) It's just the first guy that got scared, and he inspired fear in everyone behind him.
1: Yeah, like, of the whole Death Star sequence, this one's probably the flimsiest bit, because the Stormtroopers, all they have to do is stop, pause, take careful aim, and shoot this guy. He is not trained for combat. He has one maneuver, and that's take cover, shoot, take cover, shoot. And he doesn't even vary the amount of time between taking cover and shooting. Take cover, and
4: shoot. Shoot. Take cover. Hide behind your sister. Take cover. Hide behind
3: your sister. He is. He's totally hiding behind Lair. At this point, you should just give the gun to Lair, because she'd probably hit the target. Yeah, she does. Why would a Stormtrooper belt have a grappling hook? Well, because Stormtroopers need to grapple from here to there.
4: Is this Stormtrooper Batman? Yeah. I'm the laminate white knight.
1: (laughs) Nice. I'm not the hero this Death Star needs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the hero it deserves. It seems like if the stormtroopers can't take down Luke and Leia, well, there's the the idea is that they're actually herding them. This is uh, on the um, A different point of view uh, podcast. They were talking about how, of course, they don't shoot Luke and Leia. They want them to get away. What would be the point of shooting them in the face? And again, uh, speaking of incredible design, Darth oh, Vader already on. I mean, based on the designs of the wonderful Ralph McQuarrie, um but. Just, like, the sculpting on this outfit is so superb, they did not need to change it, aside from the tinting on his eyepieces for Empire and Jedi. They actually did change the exact shape of the helmet, but the basic design is pretty much the same. Like, there was a difference between Episode 4 and Episode 5, Vader's helmet. Right in there, the uh, Star Wars, uh, is it Star Wars Revisited? The one by Adiwan. He edits in the climactic confrontation music from Revenge of the Sith, Battle of the Heroes. Uh. Episode 3 over the scene is really jarring and pulls me out of the film, and yet it's my favorite bit because it's the most sort of retrospective or look at what how far they've come.
4: Vader's saber is longer than Obi-Wan's too. <laughs> it's
1: not the length. <laughs> <laughs> And Obi Wan gives up his life to save Luke and Leia. A wonderful moment. Serenity? It's the serenity and acceptance of death. The difference between uh, Obi Wan and uh, Yoda and the Emperor, who is so terrified of death that he'll basically kill everyone else in order to stay alive and on top of the pile. Same and as it's Voldemort. Accented and Harry by
4: Potter. John Williams, uh, Force theme. Mm hmm. Because, that, yeah, they, they, that's the
1: fundamental difference between the light and dark sides of the Force, the uh, acceptance versus the denial of death. And if you remember, that's how Anakin got taken in by mm-hmm. it, which yeah. is actually like, consistent.
4: Hold on to it.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it was just terribly handled. But let's blow up some TIE fighters instead. Yeah. You'll feel better.
3: Also, da, 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 da,
1: da. How is this not badly paced? How does it not feel like you've jumped too fast from being sad about Obi-Wan to being excited about a Tie Fighter battle, why is
3: that? Because it is—it does work. Yeah, it is, it is adrenaline. It is kind of—you're still—they have—they're not escaped yet. Yeah, they're you're out, out, of
1: the, the you're death out of the woods yet. yet. Yeah.
3: yeah. Also, if you no one hasn't—I mean, I, I couldn't imagine if you're not a Star Wars fan, you haven't seen it. Whoever it was who did the sort of anime Tie pilots mm. uh, short, go watch that because oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's genuinely beautiful and I it think, actually makes you feel sorry for some of the sort of the, the the faceless pilots i think part of the reason
1: you're not completely sad about obi-wan dying at this point is just the look of okay on his face when when he sees what's going to happen he's not panicking at that stage mm-hmm. so it's almost like well this is how it should be and so you know you're, you're sad but at the same time it feels like uh, he's ushering in the new generation so even and as a child we're to back understand
4: that. on what uh, we saw in the end of episode 3, Obi-Wan has had his time to converse and connect with the Force Ghost version of Qui-Gon Jinn, so he knows that this end on the mortal side is not necessarily the end the end, so he'll still be able to guide Luke.
3: Mm. Death is not the end, time is but a door, I'll be back. <laughs>
4: There's something, Big called, shots, tabbed, poisoned, <laughs> There's something
1: called shots, stabbed, poisoned, hanged. There's something called aliasing here, where uh, basically they, they draw like a square around the TIE fighter in space, and especially in the older versions, you can sort of uh, on on very good TVs, you can make out like the square being constantly redrawn as they're driving around. They they managed to digitally smooth that out extremely well here, but so that that's one of the issues that with uh, models, especially when they're moving extremely fast technically the being shot against a star field they they can't make it exact in some cases
3: yeah it goes to show that there's no no one way absolutely perfect, perfect. Yeah. yeah it's usually if you find a good combination of the two look at something like lord of the rings even though some of the lord of the Rings cgi is ropey a lot of the combination work between the the, mm-hmm. the bigotures and the cg works very well
1: yeah
3: Uh, Again, Jurassic Park is still one I will hold up to being one that uses CG at the right places. Absolutely. Also, Stan Winston built a T-Rex. I don't care. That's awesome.
1: (laughs) And as Luke talks to Han about Leia in the cockpit of the Falcon... I love this conversation. It's like, you know, in one conversation you pretty much nail down both these characters to show that if Han's going to go for a little bit of an arc at the end, this is what has to change. I was just going to say there. Leia doesn't really go through an arc throughout the series. The only thing she, um, she that really changes about her is she mellows out a little and starts to depend on Han and um, value him, and actually, because at this point you're, you're kind of aware that uh, she's not, she's hardened herself to the point where she can't really get close
4: to anyone. Yeah, it's all about the job. It's all about her political. Hmm.
1: This is all heavily inferred from not much in the way of script about that. And it's uh, the, the moments of change obviously come in Empire when she's very conflicted.
3: Also you can see it as a way of her coping with the, the tragedy that's just befalling her. Oh yeah. Oh, she's Masashi still got her Temple. war, voice, her war oh. face on. Oh X-Wings. Or oh, Y-Wings. Sorry it's, X-Wings all the time. I'm both. I like them both. Uh, I, I, X-Wings again going back to the trailer sorry for dating that shot of them flying over the water was just jaw-droppingly gorgeous mm.
1: believe me the X-Wing is uh, is is still my favourite but I, I sorry, I don't undervalue the Y-Wing either because it's got a sort of a, a chunky well it's a bomber
4: yeah mm-hmm. it was the bomber for a while until B-Wings came along mm-hmm. is it
3: the B-Wings which were the ridiculous sort of the stick ones I can
4: never yes know. it looked like a lowercase t when the wings opened up yeah it didn't t- really look like a b at any point
3: yeah but t wings sounded too cheesy hmm. then there's the
1: a wing which we'll talk about briefly in Jedi. it's it's barely on screen for more than 10 seconds
3: which does look like an a or a wedge i suppose <laughs> a wedge who is
4: that guy like
1: that's some serious mullets and and, and spotty teenagers sitting around here jeez
4: it's an illustration of how desperate the rebellion was for yeah. for crewmen. Oh, you can fly a plane? All right, cool. How about you, drunk guy? I can fly a plane. <laughs> All right, you alien a <laughs> Yeah, it was just my mind went there, too. Are there
1: going to be any sand people on this here Death Star? Because I'd like some payback. So racist. Go <laughs> so way so Randy
4: Why are you still here?
1: Isn't it a perfect example of a wide shot where nobody in the room realises how incredibly iconic and awesome this film is going to be? They're all just sitting around in orange packed pajamas going, Oof. I don't know, yeah, Death Star. Can you believe the are
3: is us 20 quid for this? Yeah. That guy on the left looks, the right looks so bored. Uh, we've got a mullet and a bowl cut.
1: The X-Wing battle, I now think, is is, is a little bit tired in the 77 version and has actually been vastly improved by uh, extra digital effects. They make it yeah. more fast-paced. Hell, uh, yes. The cuts seem a little smoother. It yeah. says that there's issues with the sound, but I actually think that it, uh, John Williams' score can get a little bit too intrusive at times, and they actually make it seem like more of a sort of uh, edge-of-your-seat battle, and, and there's actually a lot more at stake. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot more CGI X-Wings in there, but they look very good.
2: Yeah. And I, I, watching the 77 version because I'm so used to the 97 version I almost didn't know what was going on I couldn't see the
1: Death Star then explodes with a Praxis effect uh, it's it's more impressive (laughs) for for those of the uninitiated the uh, planet Praxis that gets blown up in Star Trek 6 the Undiscovered Country uh, emits a sort of a blast wave Uh which yes, uh you yeah, it's become the, the, the name for that, and so they the uh, uh Alderaan did that, and then the Death Star does that, and then the second Death Star does it in the other direction. And the other final thing is that uh, James L. Jones is now credited because he wasn't in the original version. Oh, that sounds fairly I did, important. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's like and David Prowse as Darth Vader. Whoa, whoa, hello. Credit. Have with. you
2: seen? Have you seen the um the footage of David Prowse like just the old force is strong
1: with you <laughs> you're part of the rebel alliance put like, a, a trigger, trigger take her away he's got this <laughs> wonderful sort of old bland west country accent and it's he was under the impression that that was going to be his voice
2: <laughs> <laughs> I find your lack of faith disturbing <laughs>
1: to scene when Han and Luke get out of their filthy stormtrooper costumes how and why are they wearing their own clothes underneath I could maybe believe pants and shirts under the tight fitting black body glove that the armour is wrapped around but they're wearing boots they weren't carrying any bags and they couldn't oh, possibly left the, the, their the, clothes this goes their back prior to, bloody... to entering the cell block to rescue Leia. and I don't think Chewie can fit all that into his knapsack
2: It's the the Clark Kent effect, isn't it? I mean, any time you watch, like, New Adventures of Superman, when he's wearing, like, a T-shirt, trainers, and jeans, he jumps off a building. When he lands, he's got
1: full swashbuckler boots. Yeah, but that's mental Superman. This is, I mean, this is supposed to be vaguely in the realms of reality. I
3: think we long ago established
1: that it was The Force, Jubax. So, once again, just just, just go with it, yeah? Just stop thinking. (laughs) Three men that absolutely must be credited here are Ralph McQuarrie, Ben Burtt, and, of course, John Williams. Ralph McQuarrie was responsible for all the concept art behind the original trilogy. The scenery, ships, and many of the costumes and props came out of his head after George fed in the descriptions and let him run wild. If you've ever seen, like, sort of early Star Wars concept stuff, that was him. All that sort of, like, the bug-eyed Chewbacca and the, you know, all, all of the early X-Wing stuff. And basically, Star Wars got its personality from him. He cannot be marginalized in this. Mm. It's, it's one of the reasons why the prequels were so bland, because they sort of they riffed on Macquarie, but nothing had the sort of that sort of imagination that he he displayed. They were standing on his shoulders. This one, they, he has unfortunately in later life become afflicted with Parkinson's disease, as I think I mentioned before, and and so is thus unable to draw. It's one of the cruelest and, and and most ironic kind of punishments for someone who's specifically gone through their whole life being most talented with their hands.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'd like and it is like the, the visual look of the the Star Wars one. I mean, Christ, like you know the the, the the spaceships mm. are almost, you know, just as much characters as the as the actors. You know, like a, mm. if you show a Star Destroyer, or a, a Millennium Falcon, people recognise it more so than they would say C three PO Chewbacca. Arguably, depending on who you ask.
1: In tribute to Ralph MacQuarie, I've actually put his art on the front cover of this one. That uh, picture of Vader with the stormtroopers—that was all him. Mm. He originally theorised that uh, uh, Vader was going to have to be able to breathe in space to go between spaceships, hence all the breathing apparatus.
3: And hence the greatest sound effect ever. Which
1: was made by Ben Burtt. Behind the sound effects, every blaster shot, every lightsaber swing and bleak from R2 was his creation. In fact, R2 was him. I think he also worked on WALL-E, so he is the greatest man in the world for making a robot sound like it's a robot. He is brilliant. Like, and, and has personality.
2: It, it, he, he has this whole like, um, philosophy of, like, we're trying to make it sound real. So sounds that are real. Not just all fancy... Like, What's it the the Star Trek transporter effect. That's mm. just to make it sound all magical and stuff. Yeah. Here they were actually trying to make it sound gritty and real. And even yeah, like to go back to Ralph's work, you know, like they are trying to make the universe look used and everything and mm. and it's not all shiny and new and I think that's what is, that's key to the original trilogy's charm. Mm. I've only seen the, the redone version, but Battlestar Galactica, mm. the idea that it's this low-tech, gritty, realistic universe rather than this, oh, look, it's shiny and it's futuristic and it's lovely.
1: Do you know who uh, did the concept art was... for the original uh, Battlestar Galactica? John then, Ralph, was it? Ralph. Hey. He designed the Vipers and all of those uh, starships. Yeah, they—they they, that is a show that clearly that the, the original version with the uh, original boxy Cylons were—they were like right, Star Wars are doing big bucks. We got to do that, but on TV, and they were clearly aping and chasing Star Wars. And it wasn't until the Redux that they actually managed to succeed. And indeed, I think surpassed Star Wars, even the original trilogy. Yeah, I, I love I mean, kind of the Yeah, I love it. Really? Yep, I'm that guy.
2: It tailed off towards <laughs> the end, but it was good. I mean, like, you know, the, to go back to Star Wars, like, you know, the prequels just didn't have it. The prequels might have been more imaginative, might have been more what we class as futuristic. Like, But the one that always winds me up is the Nubian ships. Oh, that Nubian, always, yes. Ah, uh, Nubian, yes. That's They're really good. Horribly, horribly
3: shiny. shiny so very and sharp. smooth. And, have you noticed like, in prequels as well, there is no dirt anywhere there's
1: no dirt yeah nothing is dirty i was looking at the millennium falcons corridors it's all scuffed up it's like hans knocked his boots on every single corridor panel
2: Exactly, it's, it's brilliant, and that that's the key. dirt is the key to making a believable universe. Mm-hmm. It really it.
1: is. So regarding Ben Burtt, his actual sound effects uh, style and his Foley work, it reminds me very much of the uh, creation on the Lord of the Rings. And he'd he'd do things like uh, go to you know, I think he he went to some air raid tunnels to record specifically echoing blaster bolts and things like that. Yeah. And he'd sneak in. It's kind of like outlaw sound design. And he's, it's a, he's a genius. And I think of everyone who actually worked on the original Star Wars, if you listen to the commentary, George you know, sounds bored fans, with his... Uh, George sounds bored all the time. Yeah. Dennis Murin's there, and he's also he's kind of interesting, but the one who really sparkles and shines is Ben Burt. If you listen to his voice, he has got all of his marbles still very much there and intact, and he yeah. is a fucking genius in the, in the way that he's actually able to, to bring stuff to life. Just watch any sequence in any of the Star Wars films for five minutes without sound, and you'll realize how lifeless the experience is. Same for John Williams' score. In fact, I'm going to play you some Star Wars right now with neither sound design nor music. See, it's rubbish.
3: It actually goes to prove that how important sound design is, especially mm. in this type of movie. How do you know what a lightsaber The lightsaber sound effect is fantastic mm. and unique. He found it out by accident.
1: He he put his microphone near to a, uh, it was a broken microphone near to a uh, a speaker, and it started going. He was like, ooh, that's neat."
2: And it's like none of the sounds you you don't you just don't even question them. It, particularly like the lightsaber, you just as soon as it comes on, he's like, "Yep, yep that's, that's exactly how that sounds." It's almost as if, or even the first time you see it, you hear it. It's almost as if you've heard it before.
1: I would have been three when I saw Star Wars. <laughs> The other thing you'll be missing, uh, if you listen to it without sound, are three of the greatest movie scores of all time, courtesy of Mr. John Williams. He was chosen for a more classical operatic feel rather than the futuristic keyboards, which are cropping up in sci-fi everywhere. In consequence, his music stands up there undying alongside the greatest of classical composers in a way that the work of Vince DeCola does not. Sorry, Vince. <laughs> Admittedly, though, this is still pretty rad.
2: I, I, I'm a massive, massive John Williams fan. I have Empire, Attack of the uh, Clones, Revenge of the Sith, Phantom Menace, all of those on on CD mm-hmm. and on my iPod. I listen to them regularly. I was listening to them on the on the way back here,
1: you know. I listened to the uh, Star Wars album twice today while making these notes.
2: Nice. It's just it's so it, it's incredible. He he has this amazing ability to not only create like. Um, Craig's music, it's, it's got bombast, it's exciting, it's got pace, it's majestic, so it's got an almost class about it, and every theme, you can instantly, the more you listen to his stuff, you can instantly identify everything that is meant, even if you listen, you know what is on screen. Mm. So you've got the Force theme, you know something you know, to do with the Force is happening, you've got. Um, in this one, you've got this weird Empire theme. <laughs> yeah, you, you know something evil is happening. Obviously, please <laughs> edit in the actual music so I don't sound like a twat. No, um, that's But the <laughs> scores progressed. As the can stop progressed. that now. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> as the you know, as as the films progressed, you know, obviously, like you know, Empire and Jedi were, and even more so than then like the prequels were still. I mean, the prequels, the story is the redeeming thing of, you mm. know, of one of the redeeming things of the prequels for all of the mistakes made on the actual. Jewel screen. of the
1: Fates had me convinced that Phantom Menace
2: was good. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, it's just, and uh, you know, Across the stars, had me enjoying the love scenes.
1: No, I, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah, <laughs> no,
2: but no. See, I mean, like, you can hear it in all these scores. Like, what, I, I'd almost argue, like, you know, Star Wars are amazing. They're incredible. But for me, they're second only to John Williams' work on the Indiana Jones trilogy, oh. where simple little things like...
1: Um, Have you got the five DVD set? Sorry, the, the five CD set.
2: I don't I've got I've got I've got the, the full complete versions of Raiders, Temple and um Last Crusade, which are as far as I'm aware the only in Jones. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> um and you know, like, in in Crusade, like there there's um Monkeys. At the, at the start when these um
1: Oh god no. of
2: In Crusade at the start there's a part where fucking hell
1: interdimensional beings in point fact
2: we <laughs> have gone into space between the spaces <laughs> fuck off
1: <laughs> sorry Nuke the fridge I was going to say fridge I was going to wait for James to start speaking again you got to time it better <laughs> wait wait just let, let him start speaking
2: can I go have you got anything left go spaceship magnets right? <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: as we said, I'm loving these um these don i the bit that you pointed out at the end of episode one where the emperor's theme is the exact same as the celebration theme i loved that because i had not noticed that the the one it reminded me of is and i can't remember i worked this out or someone had pointed it out to me but the across the stars theme tune the love theme from episode two mm-hmm. is the star wars main theme played slightly differently mm. Yes! <laughs> it's, exactly, it's exactly the same as da-da-da-da-da-da-da so oh,
1: like, oh. If there had been more like that, the darker side of the exactly. original trilogy music, then that, that would have made for some much more interesting um, scores. For that. I mean, they're still very good, they're very accomplished. For the they're p- very good scores. But I, they I, don't match up.
2: I, I, maintain, I maintain that that um, John Williams is one of if not the driving force behind the Star Wars films but I wouldn't mind I I might come back to that next week on the Empire show
1: the characters in this are so iconic that I remember reading something about you know that you know a character will live forever if you can see a silhouette of them and you know who they are most of the main characters in this if you saw a silhouette of them you'd go I see Fupia that's Darth Vader that's R2-D2 that's Han Solo specifically if it's in a specific pose you'll know Han Solo Princess Leia with the buns Straight away. Easy. Up. Easy. Stormtroopers. So Easy. many immediately identifiable characters. And Again, I'm going to put that back down to Ralph Macquarie because uh, he worked with shapes that hadn't been on screen before.
3: It's a how, yeah. it, also, it all ties into the fact this is – as complicated as this series is, it's a simple movie. Mm. And it works so well because it is so simple. Another
1: notion worth considering is how much the world of video games was propelled into the stratosphere by these films. If for some reason Lucas had shot a trilogy of westerns or rom-coms, the world of games and movies would have been very different. The influences that propelled us into the technological evolution we experienced in the 80s would have to have come from somewhere else. Maybe James Cameron or Steven Spielberg. As it was, the impact of the following three titles can almost be exclusively attributed to the space craze that Star Wars brought with it. 1978, Space Invaders. 1979, Asteroids. 1980, Defender. And with Atari's Star Wars cabinet in 1983, we had a very decent movie tie-in. More on games in a later episode, but seriously, consider how much we owe this trilogy. Now, here's the tricky part for me. I love Star Wars as a concept, and as a trilogy, I love Star Wars. But of the three films, A New Hope is actually, for me, the weakest. It sets up the world fantastically, painting vivid pictures in broad brushstrokes, with dialogue that even toddlers can understand, which makes it a very strong beginning. But it's not a match for its follow-ups. It is the
2: Hobbit to the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the Hobbit actually, yeah. was the Hobbit was um, a children's story. It was very much a. Here's some adventures. It doesn't matter why they're on this adventure. It's just an adventure for you to sit back, enjoy, go on an adventure, learn about these characters, learn about the world, learn it's about just, the force. Um, it's it's just a children's story, and it's yeah, it's it's quite you know not mundane. I try to. It's simple. It's simple. It's accessible, mm. and then it and it's it's the entry point into that larger world, that more complicated storyline. Taking your first steps into a... Lo- yeah.
1: Exactly. You are taking your first steps into a larger world. It's, as, as a middle movie, I mean, the whole point of it was that there's a purity to it. Lucas originally intended it was like, right, you're joining and the action's already started. All of this sort of setting the stuff up, that's boring. I don't want to film those. <laughs> uh, but basically, you go, you go in episode four and it's like the roller coaster's already moving and it's, it, it's great. As an actual film... If you watch it all the way through, it kind of doesn't really work after episode three. You've got all this drama, and then it gets all fun. And then it goes back to drama again for Empire. It's like, it's it's a great kind of break, and it's a brilliant world setter, but as a sort of film to follow, Revenge of the Sith, you actually want something made by J.J. Abrams, again. Yeah. May I just say that I made that J.J. Abrams prediction in 2010, five years before he eventually directed a Star Wars film. And my point there still stands after you've seen Rogue One. You then move on to A New Hope. It feels very different.
3: I was going to say, do you know what makes this movie really good? No fucking politics.
1: Yeah, they just go, the Senate has been dissolved. Right, moving on, let's get to some action. (laughs) Yeah. That's not strictly true. There is politics inherent throughout the whole of Star Wars. But rather than get bogged down in the literal politicians and their business, it's a very straightforward, space Nazis are utterly evil and trying to control everything. And we're rebels, and we're going to struggle to find their weaknesses and bring them down.
2: And that's the the only level of politics you need in a film like that. Because otherwise (laughs) you're just
1: confusing people and boring people and annoying people.
2: We don't need to know. Yeah, exactly. I love the the fact as well that it is essentially, and I'm I'm not going to take credit for this, George has basically said this, it's your typical fairy story, but set in space. You've got your princess that needs rescuing, your Death Star, your evil castle, and, Christ, you know, Owen Lars refers to um, Ben Kenobi as an old wizard. It is your typical fantasy mm. fairy tale. It would be like doing, I don't know, The Hobbit in space. The, in, the Hobbit in space, or space or, Hobbit, or, <laughs> space <laughs> Hobbit, or Wild West Hobbit, or something, or you know, Hello. something like that. Yeah, like, it, it, Wild what, West Hobbit. Wild West <laughs> Hobbit. Why not? What are you talking about? <laughs> Red Dead Hobbit. Hobbit. But my point is, it's just it's taking conventions from stories that a general story convention that we all know, we are all familiar with, we all relate to. And puts it into a different setting and instantly in doing that becomes original and becomes something that no one has ever done.
1: Last week I actually said it was my second favourite but at the time I hadn't watched it for a while and I was still reeling from how much Jedi felt like the prequels at the time. But Jedi is still stronger as a flawed closer than Star Wars is today as an opener now that we know the world. Empire and Jedi deal with more complex themes, the acting and dialogue are a lot sharper, the editing and music are even better, and the effects are absolutely unarguably superior. Nevertheless, A New Hope is excellent and charming and constantly rewatchable, more appealing to a wider group and doubtless will live on when everyone has swept the prequels into the same Room 101 as the Ralph Bakshi and Rankin Bass animated Lord of the Rings efforts. It's like the first time you ever had really great sex. Always perfect in your head, but when you think on, you've had much better since then, and much worse. Speak for yourself, I'm still waiting.
3: Question here: yes. The Death Star caught up pretty damn quick. Can that thing go into hyperdrive? You no know, one.
1: Slower hyperspace? I don't know. I think I asked this one before. How does the Death Star move? It's uh, like to move something that size. I mean, you saw how what kind of like engine is required to move the Falcon? Yeah. And the kind of like the sense of inertia and kineticism of that about the movement of that, and the Death Star sort of just like creeping along. Frankly, it should have taken them decades to get this far.
4: <laughs> just thinking about even these conversations with that thirty minutes on the clock, yeah, is a little crazy.
3: I'm also, uh, I'm personally thinking, good way of uh, lighting a scene here to show you because you don't have the budget, you know. Whereas now they would use uh, digital extension to extend the the scenes behind them. The crew's working on the the yeah. Y and the X wing, whereas they just made it dark. So, while well, you know, there's more happening that way. It, it, yeah, it, it's all just lit in just the right way, where you know, there's just you see just enough to to imagine that there's a lot, a lot more that you're just not seeing. And it makes well, sense story-wise. I'm sure as well, he just said
4: arc there. <laughs> <laughs> Was it not arc? Li- arg. Ger, arg. <laughs> well, the lighting makes sense story-wise as well because this this ragtag group may have not been here for very long and all i've got is a couple of construction lights yeah. yeah
1: you're right about like the time constraint they've got 30 minutes before this death star is breathing down their necks and they're yakking about this and that
4: why are you talking why aren't you in your plane <laughs> get in your x mens now
1: like just sit there until we can finish prepping them and then we just we will send you off the second that that happens now uh, this bit's uh new for the 97 edition where Biggs was actually finally made a person i don't know how they managed to do this they put the film out originally in '77 with no acknowledgement that Luke and Biggs really knew each other. So when Biggs dies, it's like, did did Luke know that guy? Great idea, by the way, putting uh, making R2 part of uh, Luke's um, fighter setup because it, it like you know you're sending out an innocent into the middle of this battle. It's hard to think that these things weren't actually flying. Like it just they they seem like you're looking at it and going, well that's an X-wing.
4: Yeah, grimy helmets. That must be a really good seal on that, you know, quarter-inch balsa wood cockpit. (laughs) Oh, you're going in space in this thing.
1: When I was very, very young, I picked up the paperback novelization of Star Wars, which featured a lot of the uh, scenes that were cut from the final film, including a lot of Luke and Biggs. So for some reason, I've known since pretty much day one that Biggs was very important to Luke. A lot of those scenes also turned up in the radio play, which came out around about the same time as The Empire Strikes Back. But until 97, it was never really made clear to everyone else.
4: Ooh. Weird CGI. Yeah. It's, weird, it's weird, but I still
3: love that shot. The idea behind that shot works mm. so well. guess mm. mm. what was in attack position? <laughs>
4: Could you? <laughs> I can hear you uh. Neil rubbing your hands together in excitement. <laughs> I, th- this is one of the
3: things that's always stuck with me with Star Wars because the- he focused on a lot of dogfight stuff, so how just mm. how. They shoot the scene, how well it feels is just one of my favourites. He he replicated
1: um, uh, shots from old uh, war movies, Mm. first Spitfire aircraft, I believe, which kind of lends it a classical
4: feel,
1: which then also thus plays in with uh, John Williams' (laughs) score.
4: Okay, what an interesting choice with this future tech to have the comm systems be so grainy. Again, it's
3: one of those things that make it unique to to this universe you look at Star Trek where the, the sort of the communication system is always crystal clear or it's vision and stuff it, or the ones where they choose to even later in this but it's still grainy it's like the holographs are always grainy in this whereas sometimes something else it'd be crystal clear it's it's all these again like you said the little touches the, the mundanity of it all it's it makes functional. it its own
4: world and that's what I like about it
3: mm. also
1: Vader's moving quite casually here he
3: may not even be in the right hemisphere <laughs> I've got to get the train to the northern hemisphere. It's always late.
1: Actually I suppose that's the good thing about being Vader, when you you get on the monorail, people let you get in.
3: (laughs) You get a car to yourself, no one wants to sit with you. Yeah. That's why he's always so crappy, no one talks to him. Just really lonely.
1: Oh no, don't make me think about horrible Anakin in there.
3: I slaughtered them like animals. Oh no, you just
6: did
4: it! I told you not to do it and you did it! <laughs> so, alright, uh, if you haven't seen I it yet. No,
6: everybody's holding me back!
3: Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but don't the X Wings have shields and the ties don't? Correct, they do. Yeah, you get hit once in a tie and you're dead straight away. Yeah, apparently, in the Star Wars universe, you have to be an ace pilot to get the one with the shields.
4: It's like, nuts. What? I mean, well, to, to a point. I think every rebellion ship has shields. Their interest is keeping their pilots alive because it takes a lot, a lot of man hours to put a pilot in a ship and keep them there. Whereas the Empire has this kind of limitless reserve, and the way they deal with their army is well, we're just going to make more.
3: That's That's actually a really good weapon, outlook. Yeah, Yeah, it sums up that. that, Yeah, it's it's, again the little things that you can sort of do like that, that that show you sort of the two different mindsets.
1: What what music do you think Vader actually
3: have playing in his tie? Apart from the Back Imperial March, obviously. Back in you know, black, nice. No, no, no. I was going to say if it if it's the one for the prequels, you know, it's going to be Papa Roach and Limp Biscuit. <laughs> okay, now this is the uh, the real Vader, so I think he'd have the Seeker by the Who.
4: Or maybe he's an easy listening kind of a fighter pilot. Ooh, Blondie, please don't come
5: you
4: know. But <laughs> one way or another, I got to find you. I got to get you.
1: Get you. Get you. Get you. <laughs> 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 what about that they came from behind right now when the, the uh, I think the Y-Wing guy come, coming up later he goes "Oh no, know getting a signal he always made me think is that actually Jimmy
4: Stewart back, back when I was flying a Y-Wing oh no this
1: is just silly I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be dealing with uh, uh, no Dark Lord of the Sith here I wish I had a million credits
4: Hot dog! I broke out the, uh, the part of the Death Star.
3: <laughs> just going to jump back into sort of costume design here. If you notice the the pilots' helmets, mm-hmm. each one is individual to them. Oh yeah, carrying uh, symbols again. Just li- the little touches
1: that they throw in. It's like in uh, Aliens, they uh, gave them their armor and said, "Look, go nuts, make these." Yeah, they make this armor your own. Which that they did. Hallway
4: must have been very close to the outside level of the Death Star. Just there. Yeah, because I'm going uh, one little proton explosion like that or a ship collision on the Death Star, it's not really going to do much. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm
1: going to move to the middle of the Death Star. <laughs> Again, the sound effects of the lasers is great as well. Uh, but all sound effects. Like, there aren't many sound effects in this trilogy which are duff. It's, no, it's cool. Ben Burt at the top of his game.
4: And I it's don't just, care who you are, if you want to go real science on it in the whole, oh, there's no sound in space. They're
3: part of the structure of the film. They're part of the iconic nature of it as mm-hmm. well. So you, you can't take the sound away. Yeah. And let's face it, the way things work in this universe, it isn't. There's not a lot of real science to it. You want that? You, you look at something like Abrams' Star Trek, mm. you know of that, where you have the strange, enough the corridor, right close to the, uh, the, the 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 outer hull of the ship, and someone sucked out and the house, and everything, everything, all the sound dies in it. It, it works for that franchise, but it, it wouldn't have the same effect here. It would actually spoil it somewhat.
4: Well, Star Trek has always kind of thought of itself as the like the true science fiction. I I have a friend at my local gaming club who who is trying to convince me on multiple occasions. He's like, well, all that technology in Star Trek, that could happen someday.
1: I hope he's right. I really do. All gamers
3: are just wishing for the holodeck. They are.
1: The, the Star Trek future with the Federation is definitely a much nicer one than most others to to, to hope for and to wish for. Not, not just for the technology, but for the the attitude it took to basically craft the society. We're talking about Star Trek! But, about Star Wars. <laughs> but I grew up with Star Wars, and the whole point is to stop thinking about space and physics and just think about the, the excitement of um, you know being a fighter pilot in this giant space station.
4: Think about adventure. Think about... Yeah. And I like I don't mind that some people refer to Star Wars as science fantasy because mm. it because it is. Yeah, it is.
1: Absolutely. Well, it nice feels right. It's
4: it's a world that feels right as opposed to well that's not scientifically accurate. Yes. Uh, the idea
1: of uh, uh, you know creating a mental hierarchy and actually placing one thing above the other and saying well this is valid and this is not. Uh, ultimately as long as they are high quality within their own fields that is what they should be judged upon, not whether they adhere to the fields of other completely different entertainment.
4: And whenever I have a problem with some kind of a narrative or some kind of a sci-fi anything, my wife always refers to Finding Nemo and says, Alex, they're talking fish. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a good
3: just, comeback. Just keep <laughs> the <course. laughs>
1: It's a lovely moment again, the, uh, this, the, the whole Luke, trust me, the idea of, you know, uh, after all of this stuff, going for uh, soul and mysticism as opposed to um, technology. So after all of it, it's almost shunning physics at this
4: point. (laughs) Which I think the only reason he trusts is because he can feel it a little bit. He can feel the force. Yeah.
3: What purpose does it serve to the computer relaying the information back to headquarters that he's turned his targeting computer off? Drama.
1: Tension. Yeah. and then r gets shot, and they're, all the kids, like, hands to mouth, oh, no, not r And then here come the massive drums from Mr. John Williams.
4: What a weird helmet. You can't see anything under yeah. your nose. You'd think if
1: all you were doing all day is pressing very small, lighted, non-buttons you know buttons without names next to them, you'd probably want to know which ones you're pressing.
4: As far as the looks go, that's one thing. But as far as in the, in the novels and yeah. such that I've read, most of these helmets are... Enhancing vision, yeah. For the people wearing them, they apply the labels
1: themselves. What if they malfunction, though? You, pull up, you blow up, not all Duran, but
4: just your eyeballs. Yeah. You just blew up, Coruscant. <gasps> the gasp. The I hope that's right.
1: Oh, and that guy. Those guys, a lot of people have gloves. Those guys have no gloves because
4: they need to flip the levers.
1: skadoosh and Praxis effect. If you're watching anything from '97 onwards,
4: yes. But that's Star Trek again. Look at the little sparkly. One in a
1: billion! What in a Googleplex!
4: Don't get painishing!
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, right, and it's important to mention Chewbacca at this point. You know, we've said that he's great and he's cool, but he's also Han Solo's heart, and you can tell that as soon as they got got clear of the planet, Chewie was just staring at him <laughs> Yeah. Like,
3: <laughs> he was just head turned what? straight what? at him. Oh, you Both know. right at him. Doesn't even say anything. He just looks at him.
1: Just like, puts his arm, folds his arms, and stares at him. I can't even look at you anymore.
4: <laughs> Which is what Chewie would probably do when he's not on camera. Yeah. I bet he sounds a lot like Kelsey Grammer. Yes.
5: yes.
3: <laughs> well, I'm
4: disappointed, it? Han. Also, isn't Chewie the only one who doesn't get a medal here?
1: Yes, that's why I was mentioning Chewie as being extremely important, because he gets horribly overlooked by this racist bunch of rebels. Poor guy. Let's look at that. A Which... bunch of white people. White,
4: white, 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 white.
1: Oh, man, they are. Then they give a medal to the white guy, a medal to the white guy, and then they go, I'm Wookie." Cheers.
4: And in the books, the uh, the Rebellion tries to open up that Oh, thank you, White. That guy. cloud, that racism level that they see.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's why in Jedi it's way better because you've got Admiral Akbar, you've got Neem Nun, they're speaking Swahili, and there's a lot more inclusivity. Oh, and Mon Mothma, so a girl. Chewy che- even craned around in a kind of, a, you've got any you know, of those
3: shiny uh, medals for me? And the like, nice, clean droids. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, this is you know, where they've actually had a scrub. Yeah. love how Han, if you're watching him, he doesn't look comfortable there when he turns around. Apparently, when the actors were walking through, those were just a bunch
1: of
4: British experts going, Whangers. <laughs> 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 right, thank you. Sorry. Then if you I ever had the option to meet Mr. Lucas in person, the one thing I would want to say to him was, thank you for creating the world. Yeah, absolutely. Because I love playing in it.
1: As much as I have ripped into him time and time again for his bad choices... I would I would never say a bad word to him if I had the chance at any point because what would be the point he's had so much hate over the years and uh so yeah I, w- I wouldn't fawn over him but I would be very respectfully thank you Mr Lucas That's
3: it's not just that. just that it's just the stuff that came out of Star Wars as well like I said you got ILM out of it Indiana Jones spawned from Lucasfilm yeah Willow let us not forget Skywalker Sound <laughs> Pixar Pixar yeah oh there's a lot of good that you might not think of when you think just just thanks to this film. Launched the career of Harrison Ford. Uh, for me, it's way below uh, Empire
1: and Jedi. There's actually quite a big gap. I, I do really? love it. I love it. You've heard the exuberance in my voice mm-hmm. for this, but I'm going to be even more so for Empire and slightly less for Jedi. I, I do love Jedi, but it does get a bit silly. I, I, I just love so much. But I love even more of the, the other two. So, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a great kind of... This is the appetizer to Star Wars for me. It's also, like, okay, let's... here's here's what you're going to be tasting. And did you enjoy it?
6: Good. Jedi is still my favorite. Hmm. Because of the... Uh, the
1: emotional the stuff going on in that. Of The the yeah.
6: story, yeah. And the everything with um, uh, Yoda and the aftermath of hmm. that. Uh, Empire, a very, very close second. And then this one. Yeah.
1: This is a film I and millions of others will come back to, time and again, for the rest of our lives. It is a gateway to a world, and while later installments would most definitely surpass it, as well as failing to meet its standard of engaging on-screen storytelling, this one remains special, for many reasons which we have listed here tonight, and countless more that we haven't. But beyond the world, this comes down to character. Vader is a menacing black specter of technological malice, mysterious enough to keep everyone wanting more of him. Guinness, for all his nonchalance, plays Kenobi like a man who has seen conflicts come and go and has whiled away his years in peace, ruminating upon his regrets and the future quest he will lay down his life for. R2 and 3PO bicker and squeak in just the right amount to emphasise the larger world going on around them, and our place in it as observers. Cushing plays Tarkin with a classy, merciless coldness, leaving you certain that there is no atrocity he wouldn't commit for a good enough reason, and the stormtroopers are suitably faceless and regimented, foregoing identity to be the arbiters of vicious power. Luke Skywalker is a simple, easy-to-like, naive and good-hearted boy with bright eyes and a desire to do good, plus an amazing name, a magic sword, and a curiously pure love for the princess. Hamill's performance gained more complexity as the years went by, and that was made all the more significant by how uncomplicated he plays Luke here. Leia's warface, dedication to her military role, would carry forwards to govern the rest of her life. Here we get to see her burning heart, her courage, her spitfire temper, and her natural aptitude for leadership in a man's world. She's all kinds of inspirational, and Carrie Fisher, who drowned in moonlight, strangled by her own bra, that's how she wanted to be remembered, will remain immortal as long as there are humans to tell her tale. And Han, this selfish, smirking scoundrel who eventually wound up being so much more than that. Here we get to see him at his most in need of realisation that helping other people is a good idea. Han allowed everybody incredulous to enjoy this space opera despite themselves and gave a misguided hero to every mawkish Luke in the audience that wanted to be cool like him. And in a world where tyranny can come from seemingly out of nowhere and swiftly transform your country from its state of progression to a divided battlefield, riven with hate where everyone's safety and peace of mind and faith in humanity can be challenged, threatened or destroyed, Star Wars at its most elemental teaches us wrong from right. Teaches us that when we see suffering caused by man, that attempting to stop that is the right thing to do, no matter how frightening the dark side gets. There are periods when we drift away from Star Wars, where we find better adventures and cinema has come so far since 1977. But I know that eventually, with the inevitability of the shifting currents of the Force, that I shall always return to this galaxy, far, far away. they're sort of walking down and they get all their medals and everything and Luke smiles and Hans smiles and Hans buttoned up his shirt which looks really weird. Yeah. Chewy doesn't get a medal.
2: Thank you. I wanted to point this out. This is the last thing in my notes. Why does he not get a menu? Menu? Medal. <laughs> menu!
1: Just say that again.
2: I wanted to point this out as well. Yeah, this is the last thing in my notes. Why doesn't he get a medu- medal? <laughs> I can't say it! <laughs> For fuck's sake! Third time. Third does a job. I wanted to point this out as well. This is the last Magnets. thing in my notes... Why doesn't Chewie get a medal? Because he does uh, just as much work, if not more, than Han and Luke.
1: There's no explanation for it. I I think that the uh, the rebels are just a little bit racist. I think so,
3: yeah. I just don't think there was anyone tall enough to put a medal on him. Because should just have hung it from his belt.
1: That's a real burn. I mean, he's up there, but it's just as if to say, look, no medal for you.
2: That's a real burn as well. If you think that R2-D2 got a medal or got commemorated in episode one, for being a droid and doing his job that he's programmed to do and yet would you thank we... a spanner yeah exactly why would you th- you wouldn't thank a spanner but you don't thank the fucking grizzly who ripped off a few arms to get you out of the death star
3: yeah would you really thank a magnet <laughs> I hate you both
1: I really hate you both so we'll be back for the Empire Strikes Back next week I've been Alex Shaw I've been Neil Taylor I've been James Bachelor. and may the force be with you